The following podcast is proudly brought to you by Vite Ramen. Use the link in the description and use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off tasty, healthy, and easy-to-make ramen. And also use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off windows, keys, and die shrink to get 3% off everything else on the website at cdkeyoffer.com. Now on with the show. Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom. Today, as I am on, I think, yes, every news episode we've done, I am joined by my co-host, Dan. How you doing, Dan? I'm pretty good. How are you doing, Tom? I, I mean, I'm fine. You know, it's been a, a very long week. We put out a extra girthy episode of Die Shrink for the patrons, so don't forget that's out there. If you do support us or if you're considering supporting us, um, all about like how gamer only dies could you know be better executed on in the future. You know, kind of both discussing the the similar but really opposite ideas of it, how AMD could have handled the 6500 XT better, how they could have if they could see the future designed it better. They they obviously couldn't change it after things were set in motion, and then also like what a good execution would just be in the future. Like, what do you focus on? What do gamers actually need? How much cheaper does it need to be than a normal GPU that can do everything? I mean, that was almost another broken silicon out there on yeah, really and, specific subjects for the patrons. And also accidentally about uh, budget gaming in general. Right. <laughs> uh, which, PC gaming in general. Which, you know, it's funny. I, <laughs> so I... I and, and I'll, I'll hint more about it and drop some whispers about other upcoming products that are not these low-end GPUs most people, frankly, don't care about. Um, because I do actually have quite a bit of Alchemist, uh, some Lovelace RDNA 3, and other leaks, Meteor Lake stuff that I've been sitting on. Some of it that I'm sitting on because it's like, oh, you can't just leak something once you get the first set of info because <laughs> someone could get in trouble. Yeah. But also, just because I couldn't... I just... Again, you know, I said the 6500 XT release was the pricing singularity. There is the product itself isn't good, and it's probably not something most PC gamers are interested in. But the factors that created its existence are have a huge tons are very important to be fully understood. I think by this community because it's changing. But I guess what I'm saying is a long week, somewhat of a stressful week because I knew <laughs> those would be polarizing opinions, although it actually did gain us quite a bit of subscribers compared to some other weeks. So I know that we made the right decision in putting our foot down and, you know, trying to really not back down, but put a magnifying glass on the maybe misunderstood and like overlooked factors going on right now in PC gaming, you know, maybe polarizing, but it, it was to our benefit. And I think to the benefit of the community, but now I'm ready to start getting back to more Typical content, because frankly, we shouldn't usually care that much about the low-end GPUs. It's just so crazy that what's made them, made it so we could not <laughs> stop talking about them for a few weeks. Well, I mean, yeah, when you, <clears throat> when two twin product launches that are received differently for, you know, a bunch of different weird factors, it's kind of impossible not to talk about it, especially when there's no real other product releases True. in 
like this couple week window at least. I mean, what else are we going to talk about, right? Um, but yeah, so I guess I'm excited. We, of course, will touch on them a little bit because there are a couple things here in the stories to talk, touch on again. But I'm happy to start moving on to more typical stuff. First, let me do an opening reader mail here. Blokes writes and he says, I would just like to report that on my Z690 system, despite a consistent brief flash to black upon resuming a video for some reason, AMD GPU driver version 21.12.1 has yet to crash the system with this 5700 XT running and halting hardware accelerated video decoding. So after two and a half years, RDNA one GPUs are finally, in quotes, stable and in quotes, working. And I read this because I just think it's worth touching back on things that we discussed very heavily a year ago, you know, to kind of put a the back cover on a book on that one. I remember so mm -hmm. many people, including me, hearing that there were hardware bugs in RDNA 1, uh, at least in the Navi 10 die, that might make it never stable. It seems like right now people are reporting it is completely stable. So if there were hardware bugs, I don't know, but they were able to work their way around them in the software if there were. So I guess that's good. Good to know that yeah. RDNA 1 <laughs> does indeed work now. Uh, nothing else to add. I mean, woo. Yeah. <laughs> Stable drivers. All right, let us move on to corrections and emissions. QH Freddy writes in, in the loose ends of last, you mentioned a 5 gigabyte 80 bit GPU being possible since 5 gigabyte 160 bit GPUs were possible. Well, that is not wrong on the surface necessarily. A 5 gigabyte 80 bit GPU would be substantially more complex in terms of component count and PCB cost than a 6 gigabyte 96 bit or maybe even 4 slash 8 gigabyte 128 bit GPU. Firstly, at least on the AMD side, the current GDDR memory interfaces are designed as 32 bit blocks. So an 80 bit controller would require the halving of one of those blocks, which I have seen before, by the way, on some GPUs, so everyone knows. Uh, not this generation, of course, though. Uh, secondly, you would be forced to use five memory chips for physical five, physically a five gigabyte card, since that is the only way to evenly divide up the five gigabytes with the 160 bit memory interface. That is fine because the widest you normally use GDR modules is at the 32 bit module, but going down to 16, would mean that you are creating more complexity and getting worse performance, a six gigabyte, 96 bit card only needs three memory modules, reducing the amount of wiring on the PCB. The 16 lanes need to be accompanied by many control traces, too. That said, it could be interesting to have a 96-bit or even 128-bit card with physically 6 or 8 gigabyte VRAMs, respectively, but with memories disabled, maybe fused off to an amount that specifically stops you from mining Ethereum on this. This is coming up on something I talked about on the loose ends and a little bit in the last die shrink. So it's funny, QH Freddy, if you haven't listened to the newest die shrink yet, we already kind of addressed this, right? Because I did, yeah. but it's worth it's worth, worth reading in the main piece of content, I think, publicly, because that is at least half wrong, if not entirely wrong, that I suggested that, um, you know, 160 is divisible by 32. So, you know. Yeah. When I see 80, saw 80, but I was immediately thinking, could that potentially work? And I guess kind of, but it might be more expensive to do that in the long run. Well, it would be more expensive probably than having six gigabytes. Which is something we discussed in that die shrink. And I did speak to an AMD engineer about it because I was like, Actually, I think he may have reached out to me saying, by the way, something to correct. You know, after a, a back and forth there, the conclusion actually was, you know what? It's not that you can't do it. I'm just not sure you can. And it would be weird. Like, it'd be a weird decision because you could put <laughs> yeah. a 32, a 32 and a 16 bit control and then put two plus two plus one, two, two gigabyte modules and then one, one gigabyte. But that might be just as expensive on the die as just having 96. But at that point, you might as well just disable part of the bus to lower the performance and memory capacity if you want to or something. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, because 
that is what Intel's doing with Arc, so you almost might as well do that anyways. Although I would say, unless it was the part of the module where it's like phys phys physically disabled, um, miners would figure out a workaround to get that extra gigabyte oh, it would enabled be if it were on the chip. Okay. They would definitely, yeah, <laughs> physically. Yeah, I mean, so I don't know. I mean, they, like, and when I say ARC, I mean A380, you know, should have six gigabytes on desktop. They just disable one of the 32-bit controllers on laptop because it doesn't need it and it saves space. Assume me AMD could do that too. I, I I don't know though, but yeah, that, that's just some of the talk we had though, I guess is, you know, is that possible? The answer is probably, but unlikely they would decide to do that. <laughs> and uh, just an interesting idea for just giving exactly the amount of memory you need for gaming in 1080p, which again, I think people will go five gigabytes. That won't help any more than four. Yeah, it would, because you're still shuffling, shuffling, shuffling data in and out and I bring this up, like when I game on my 3070, I try to keep VRAM usage just below seven gigabytes. So it's never getting any performance stuttering, moving the data in and out, which it, it's, it definitely does in Battlefield on some settings. If I let it start at like 7.5 gigabytes of usage, mm -hmm. eventually it builds up to eight and then keeps going, bouncing up and down. You don't want that. So five gigabytes could allow you to use four gigabytes without any of the stuttering issues associated. Yeah. Jensen Wang writes him, I believe you have discussed another company saying Navi 21, what a terrible codename. He, he's, he's pretending he's Jensen Wang. But anyways, he moves on. He says, I believe you said that Navi 21 is the largest GPU AMD made in terms of area. Fiji was li larger, pathetically small at only 600 millimeters squared compared to what NVIDIA does, but larger than 520, or I think it's 528 millimeters squared, Navi 21 has, which is a, a, a notable correction. I, I was wondering if I was getting that wrong when I said that. What I meant is I kind of like the biggest for how mature the node is. It's like, yeah, Fiji was 600 millimeters squared almost, but at the same time, Fiji was like the third generation on 28 nanometer. Yeah. So it's like, you know, which, but that is true. That is the biggest die AMD's made for gaming before. So a worthy correction is that is wrong. Um, and by NVIDIA's own CEO, I mean... We have to not, he has to knock a AMD product when he can, Tom. Seems to be a huge fan of broken silicon, though. <laughs> yeah. All right, a quick heads up here, everybody. So how me and Dan usually record the news episodes, we record on Sunday evening, and then it gets edited, and then there's final checks, you know, making sure everything's good, making sure the thumbnail looks right on Monday. That's when it goes to patrons. Sometimes it comes out earlier if we record earlier, but you know that's how it generally works is we record Sunday, we get it to patrons Monday. That gives us a little more time to make sure all of the free feeds are ready to go by Tuesday, and then it drops Tuesday. But <laughs> as we were doing the final touches on the edit of the episode, the thumbnails are literally about to click release to patrons. Of course, the news dropped that Sony bought Bungie. And me and Gerard felt it was worth the extra effort to pull everything down quick record a little bit, and re-upload. So what you're about to hear after this section is the initial very long actual about 30-minute discussion of what we think about Microsoft buying uh, Activision, Blizzard King, and all these other studios, what it means for the market, how Sony's likely to respond. That's all going to be left there unedited. And then after that, you're going to get me cold calling Dan at work where he didn't know Sony about Bungie yet. And I just tell him and wait for his reaction and it's pretty funny so i just want to give you guys a head up heads up that if at 
points in the next 30 minutes we sound a little out of the loop. It's because the news hadn't come out yet as of that recording. Uh, but I still think all of it ages very well. And then after that, there's a 10-minute discussion on Sony buying Bungie because we just felt like it had to be added. So, all right, let, let, let's get back to, again, what you're about to hear is recorded before the Bungie news. And then after that, will be us reacting to Sony buying Bungie. All right, let us move on then to story number one. Microsoft will buy Activision Blizzard, betting $70 billion on the future of games. Quoting from the New York Times, Microsoft plans to buy the powerhouse but troubled video game company Activision Blizzard for nearly $70 billion, its biggest deal ever, and one that places a major bet that people will be spending more and more time in the digital world. The blockbuster acquisition announced on Tuesday would catapult the company into a leading spot in the $175 billion gaming industry. Games on virtually every kind of device from bulky consoles. Bulky? Who wrote this? Bulky compared to what, dude? Casual. Two smartphones have gained even greater popularity during the pandemic. Technology companies are swarming around the industry looking for a bigger share of attention and money from the world's 3 billion gamers. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and this was discussed heavily on the last guest episode with Hoag Law. I really recommend everyone check that out. Link will be in the description somewhere if you haven't listened to it yet. But we talked about the implications of that. Um before I give any opinions or read any reader mails, I, you know, I, I've talked about it with Hoag Law, and I think I talked about it in the recent Loose Ends by myself, but I haven't discussed it with you yet. I mean, you know, let's just start in two places. Number one, when did you see this news and what, you're in, what was your gut reaction? And number two, just what do you think by now? Um, I actually, I think it was... Um our gaming friends group chat that i first saw it i was mm-hmm. in the uh, i was in the lab and i hadn't looked at my phone for probably an hour hour and a half and then i just saw a message oh activision blizzard is being acquired by uh microsoft and i was like do they mean like a studio do they mean they're acquiring the stu like the the wing of Activision Blizzard, like Blizzard, that's what I, I was like, oh no, hmm. they are paying $70 billion to acquire the biggest, is it the biggest uh, third-party publisher? Or I think it is, yeah. The biggest third-party publisher, and they just bought Call of Duty, basically, and it took me a few minutes to just like actually read like, oh no, this is actually the thing that they're doing, this is insane, this is like one of the biggest acquisitions I think I've ever heard of. And, you know, then I thought about it a while. It's like this is way, way more of an encroachment, way bigger corporate consolidation move than buying ZeniMax, which ZeniMax kind of, in a weird way, almost makes sense with Microsoft. I feel like their products have typically been more Microsoft-aligned anyways in the past, and their games are best on PC anyways. Mm Mm-hmm. But no, this is a huge blow for uh, Sony, and it's a huge blow for, I think, consumers in the long run, because now Microsoft uh, and Sony, I guess they're just as big, or their gaming wings are just as big. Microsoft has shown that there is no fish too small for them to catch, and I don't know if if this is where they stop, if they keep going what position Sony feels itself is forced into. Like, is Sony going to try to buy Square Enix? I mean, that would be, I think, closer to the level of something like ZeniMax, but Mm -hmm. still not great for the market. And I I think long-term, there might be a lot of issues with game quality because uh, 
everything company is being bought up by Microsoft. Sony has to move to that. Sony's probably being forced to buy, go to a subscription model at some point too. And I'm worried what games will look like, not two, three mm-hmm. years from now, but five, six years from now. I'm worried that you're going to be forced into a position where you basically have to buy Game Pass for whatever they want to charge you, $40 a month. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting you say nothing's going to change immediately. I mean, that's definitely true. That's something I've thought about more. You know, I've obviously been thinking about this for over a week now. But in the past few days, that's something I've thought about. I think I heard them talk about it on Sacred Symbols and stuff, too. Just like this point of, at the end of the day, this is something where nothing's really going to change in the next two years. I mean, whatever contracts they have on PlayStation or, you know, even Nintendo for some of their games or whatever, those are still in effect you know and phil spencer publicly confirmed that at the end of the day whatever sony has coming out whatever competitors with microsoft have coming out they're gonna have them coming out and nothing changes the 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 question really is what does this when will we see the effects of this and i think it's really 2024 and what will be the effects both good and bad because i'm starting to try to think of it in a more and I, and I do think the gut reaction is negativity. I think most people are going, this is maybe a bridge too far here. This is getting to the point yeah. where it's like, what are we just, yay, one company owns everything? Yay! Like, what are you even cheering for at a certain point? Um, but at the same time, it's like, well, they own Activision now. It won't affect anything for a few years. Maybe this will make other people form new studios and make more competition to fight it. Because ultimately, that's where you get more competition and creativity. When you make a new studio, when you make a new gaming IP, when you make something to compete with something you're forced to compete with instead of just having it on your system as well, you know, maybe this will make other people band together and make a new publisher. Maybe this will make Sony say, Maybe we shouldn't just be making third-person shooters and action games. You know, they I, shouldn't be. They shouldn't be, <laughs> no. You know, uh, that's where I will say, after having some time to ruminate on it, I go, maybe this will actually force more competition than you'd think. And you always wonder, like, once you start buying up too many things, are, is there actually any synergy there? Or are you just going to have management? Like, how is Microsoft going to manage, like, a, a thousand studios effectively without closing half of them? And... I mean, they're still going to be making the same game. So you almost wonder, like, what did they really spend this? I don't know. I I, I still think we're going to have to see. You know, I I think it's questionable that this was anything that will benefit them more than just, again, $70 billion. They could just make at least 100 Grand Theft Autos. So, like, no, I know there's not all of those auteurs out there to make 100 Grand Theft Autos, but it does put things in perspective. Like, imagine if they made new games, (laughs) you know, that you couldn't get anywhere else, that wouldn't have been made without their money, you know. This just seems like a, very, a the least efficient way to do that, actually, in terms of money spent. It's it's easier, but it's the least efficient. Yeah, I wish what they would do is empower the studios they already have if they have this much money to sp- spend on uh, their gaming department. Because at the end of the day, like $70 billion is such a huge amount of money. I don't know how long it will even take for them to make this money back that $70 billion is massive. Um, and I just don't see how, uh, I, I just think this is solely a, a thing to be, not just to be a shot at Sony or, but this is 
just a, I think a signal that they're going to be more and more committed to turning Xbox into the Netflix of games. And maybe that will be a good thing. But once again, I've said it before, I think the more cash that is, the more studios that need to be supported by Game Pass means either the more money they need to be going into Game Pass or the lower quality, lowering the budgets of all these games that are supported by it, or they are going to just keep hemorrhaging money, which, you know, that's a big uh, Silicon Valley move is, uh, that's a big Silicon Valley move is hemorrhaging money for years and then raising prices. You can do that. And I think that's where everything is moving towards, even outside of gaming. And it just kind of sucks. Mm Mm-hmm. And and you worry how when that turns into a bubble because if it works well it works well if it doesn't work well my God the amount of other things they could have done with this money <laughs> you know yeah it, it, it's 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 crazy yeah I know and I I see comments that are just complete like on comment sections about this that are just completely disconnected from reality like someone saying I spend eight hundred dollars on games a year. How? Honestly, a $60 option for a monthly subscription sounds great. No one spends $800 on games a year. You spend $800 because you have a spending problem. <laughs> yeah, like I don't. And and I've actually bought a lot of games recently. Um, I'd, I, I can't imagine spending that much. Um, and it's like, I, I don't know. I just still don't think either people have been forced to put their money where their mouth is because what we've been playing a lot of Age of Empires for I played Halo Infinite. There was another game, too, recently. And I paid $1 for three more months of Game Pass. Like, guys, they can't afford to make these games long-term like that. Like, so... Yeah. It's literally <laughs> not possible. I, I don't think people get that. I, I think what's gonna what's going on is obvious. They're going to kill Xbox Gold. They're going to make it $20 a month. And they're going to close a third of these studios in four years. The ones that sink will sink. The ones that swim, swim. And they will say, well, at least we gained all this IP. Yeah, I think there's a really good chance. And maybe like that'll work out well, because again, I think you might see competitors to Game Pass rise up. You might see new studios emerge of like ex-employees at various... They're, they're out there. There's been a few closures over the past 10 years. They could come and make a new, you know, publisher. It's happening more and more often. You might see Sony say, all right, we're just going to build 10 more teams now to like revive half of our franchises we've been doing nothing with, which to be fair, they haven't been doing enough with a lot of them, I don't think. Um, uh, and and but and so I don't think it's going to necessarily be a net. I, 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 the more I think about it, the more I'm like, the only way this would turn out horribly is if everyone rolls over. And I just don't think everyone's going to roll over. And I don't think Microsoft's the worst owner for these companies studios either there's far worse companies to own them you know so i I think it is going to work out i just think don't assume it's going to work out the way you think it is in any direction good or bad yeah uh, um about like this studio the cycle of studio closures like it's it's a little funny I, i think this is emblematic of the how this all works like sony liverpool uh, studio Liverpool was one like the first big acquisition Sony ever made. They closed the studio in 2012. The team reformed and they just rebought Studio Liverpool after closing it, basically. And now it's called Fire Sprite. Yeah, but- yeah I think you're going to see Sony rethink how maybe carelessly they were to close some studios. Like to this day, the biggest mistake I think was Zipper. Just absurd that they closed that studio. 
because of a few. Yeah, I, I, well, Media Molecule just, I don't know, <laughs> beats off in the corner making not doing anything with Dreams. Not that I'm trying to anger fans of Dreams, all five of you who play it, but I'm just saying, like, there's some weird decision-making at some of these competitors to Microsoft, not just Sony, and you go, maybe they're going to be forced to stop being careless as well now because the threat is real to them. Yeah, that's very true. The, the threat is real. I mean, I, I, I think uh, now for... I, I guess trying to get into the, I'm not going to say positive because I don't want to paint this in a positive light. I'm done being I don't crazy negative about it. about it, though. And I was never um, crazy. There are people way more negative than me about it. I never actually really talked about it much. I think I'm just at the, you know what? This is huge. This is unprecedented. And we're not going to see the effects nor the counter effects to this for a while. I think let's just see what happens, I guess. You know, actually, I'm not. The world isn't over. And it's. If you think this is bad, it's not. And if you think it is good, you're still not going to see any real benefits to this for years. So, Yeah, uh, or if you say something like, this is a great day to be an Xbox fan, ask yourself, what what did you actually get from this happening? And it's like, it's like the same thing, where, uh, except on a orders of magnitude size greater scale like if you see um the new final fantasy game being a third-party exclusive for sony and you're like well that's a big win for me as a playstation fan no it's not is it you would have gotten the game either way (laughs) yeah i know they just paid they just paid uh square enix a huge sum of money to deprive part part of the market of that game because they want people to buy a ps5 the one good thing i did want to talk about because i don't think there's not much to talk about i just think it should be mentioned is Phil Spencer tweeted um, they intend to keep my uh, Call of Duty on all platforms, and I don't think people are talking about that enough. Yeah, I think the, you know? I think the biggest question on that one is is how soon do they bring new Call of Duties to Game Pass? Because I would be a little yeah. surprised if it was day one Game Pass. Although I a little not completely surprised you know there's so many games where they just yep you get it on game pass for free or you can buy it on playstation and then they just make no money on game pass and sony sells 10 million copies of that game no matter what you know which i think is what's going to happen but i would wonder if they would just not bring it day and date but they do this thing which would be cool and actually as someone who has game pass i would appreciate is if they brought all the old call of duty so i can go back and play some of those campaigns without having to spend money on them that would be an interesting mm-hmm. move actually yeah that would be you know and i and that's kind of what i'm expecting i don't expect day one right with this year although i wouldn't rule it out no one should be ruling this out but i yeah i think i think at first i wonder if that's what they'll do is just bring last year's and then if you want to buy it maybe it's cheaper and you know it's cheaper to get it day one on Xbox, and then one year later, you know you're going to get it for free or something. Yeah, that's a that could definitely be what they end up doing. I mean, well, we have to see how much they're putting all of their eggs into the Game Pass basket because I think if they're full steam ahead, Game Pass is the future. Day and date is likely for. Probably not this year. I don't even think the acquisition is necessarily going to go. That's true. This so year. yeah, definitely not this year. Then. So 2023, we'll see if that is a day and date on Game Pass and sixty dollars on PS5 because seventy. Yeah, Activision was one of those PS5. companies actually insisting on seventy dollars for the new generation. So yeah, and if you're a person that plays Call of Duty every year, maybe gets one or two more games every year. Game Pass is 
getting it through Game Pass is probably a better option for you at its current price. Uh, now I say at its current price because I'm doubtful that it's going to remain $15 forever. <laughs> yeah. And, but, you know, it's go- their biggest game is going to remain on PS5 for the foreseeable future for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. in some form. Falto writes in, you know, after thinking about it for a while and listening to your recent podcast, I have concluded that I am not happy with Microsoft buying Activision. The biggest reason being now that Sony is going to push even harder for more exclusives on their platform, which will also force Xbox to do the same. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know how many count. We'll see, though. I mean, I don't I don't see Xbox just buying EA. I, I have heard that it is likely if they tried to buy EA within a year now, the FTC would probably step in at that point and block the deal. But anyways, mm-hmm. which means more games that would otherwise be multi-plat will now be exclusives or timed exclusives on either side. Does this help us as consumers? Nope, it just hurts us. Now we're going to be forced to buy both consoles to play all the games. Unless you want to miss out on like half of the new games as they'll be locked to Sony or Microsoft. Even PC will be affected by this as now if you spent $2,000 on a shiny new rig, you'll still need a Sony console as well to enjoy all games. What are your guys' thoughts on this? you guys agree or disagree? And is there anything we can do as consumers to prevent this dystopia from happening. Um, yeah, and I think it's very likely Sony's going to try to buy... I think it'd be very pro-consumer for them to at least get Konami's IP because Konami's just doing well, nothing with it, you know? you know, And they have a yeah. long lineage with Konami games. I think Sony's probably going to go for Square Enix for the lineage reasons, and we don't need to get in. There's a, a myriad of reasons they'd go for Square Enix first. I pointed out about a dozen times now, Sony could easily afford to buy Ubisoft. I don't think they will but i think it's worth pointing out how that them buying ubisoft is kind of like microsoft buying activision they could certainly afford to do it um people need to under people underestimate how small some of these publishers are actually in net worth but yeah i mean i i do think that sony's going to try to do some of these things and i do think there's a huge difference you know it's not like it's just not the same as like <laughs> like funding games for years already and then buying a studio you've been working with for a decade, just wanton buying random stuff, it seems. It is different yeah. and it and it does suck. And like you already pointed out, damn, you know, you haven't gained anything. Just someone lost something <laughs> if if it's if it's now on your console but not on another one. In terms of the the question here about like what consumers do. Uh, to prevent this dystopia from happening. At this point, I'd say very little. What what I would just say is keep in mind what you're paying for. If you think a game's worth the money and you want to play it and it is, it ends up being good, you know, we don't have a cyberpunk situation, buy it. You're funding a new game. And I think people need to start realizing that if they want good games, they need to buy them or they won't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, and it kind of makes me think of a bit from, I, I believe it was The Office, do you remember um, there was this joke where there was a you could get a coupon book that had like two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of deals? So I forgot who, but like someone thought that means that you were basically getting two hundred fifty thousand dollars for it. Mm-hmm. You, you would need to spend millions of dollars to get that value out of it. And this is to just go to the whole thing. I think we need to start discussing what value is in a different way Mm -hmm. because you can say through game pass, you're essentially buying 400 games for $15 a month. Are you going to play all of them? You're not. So the way you need to look at game pass is how many games am I spending per month um, uh, per like month of subscription? Because as it stands right now, if you're pay, buying, I mean, playing one game through Game Pass every four months or so, 
then it's you're basically breaking even mm-hmm. on what it would just be like to buy games out which they're hoping and, most people do or this won't be profitable guys they're literally betting that most yeah. people won't get their value out of it that is this entire business model like stop pretending it's not and at the end of the day me and you would have bought age of empires 4 that would have funded more dlc instead we paid a dollar so you know yeah. why because who cares? I'm paying a dollar if you give me the option right now. You know, then I'll buy it again when it goes on sale because I do want to keep it on Steam probably eventually. But it's just I would have bought Halo and Age of Empires 4. Now I'm not going to. And you have to, you mm-hmm. know, ask yourself, it, <laughs> like, like, you have to ask yourself, like, is this just hurting them? Or is there a lot? There's going to have to be a longer play where they assume you don't get your money's worth. Yeah. Otherwise, this business model does not work. Or it doesn't work for them any better than the old a la carte system did at maximum. (laughs) Which is what you're seeing now with streaming, where it was awesome, where you only needed a few, but now it's turning into more and more and more and more of these streaming things where it's costing the same as a TV package anyways for most people. For not most people, but it's getting close. Rajam Kadori writes in, Hey Tom, the video game market is rapidly consolidating as the market makers shift towards subscription services like Game Pass. Do you expect this to have any major effect on game piracy in the long term, similar to what has happened recently with video streaming? I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this. And I would say, I mean, yeah, it's going to hurt piracy a lot. But it's already been hurt by the fact that half of the games are online now. Yeah, piracy just seems like an increasingly difficult thing. I mean, I guess... With all of this consolidation, there might be a move for people to try pirating stuff more, especially mm. if Game Pass gets more and more expensive and half of games are only available exclusively through that, which I don't think we'll ever get to that scenario because that I think the FTC would step in before that happens. But, you know, it's a discussion that needs to be had. Yeah, that right. As long as it's nearly free, people won't need to pirate. But if it became expensive, then piracy would just show up again. <laughs> You know, yeah. Um, Amiable Chief writes him. He says, "Isn't the consolidation of studios within the game industry the software equivalent of major chip designers buying fab capacity at a blistering pace? They're both rolling in cash and using the once-in-a-century opportunity to strengthen and sustain their leadership positions. I can't help but think that there will be somewhat of a whiplash effect down the road, though, which will impact the gaming industry more than it does big silicon." I would uh, I agree with the last sentence there. I think that nothing changes for now and the whiplash will be harder than what's going on in the silicon space because at the end of the day, and I do see people say, like I saw one reader mail that I didn't put in here, but I think I saved for a mailbag eventually, like talking about, like, isn't TSMC a monopoly of gaming? And it's like, I don't know, the biggest gaming architecture, Ampere, is made at Samsung. So it isn't, though, you know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, TSMC is making huge moves and maybe some body will eventually go in and smack them down. But I, the fact of the matter is so complicated is, though. I find it unlikely because like a national uh, security uh, reason they would let them be so powerful for some countries. Yeah. Because I, I think it's more complicated because at the end of the day, while all this capacity is being bought from TSMC, it's still multi-company deals. Like if TSMC went out and like bought AMD or something that, would probably be bad (laughs) yeah that would definitely be bad for the market i mean i think it would lower innovation for sure i think i think we've seen more innovation in silicon when they don't have their own fabs so yeah because there's the option that if this deal with tsmc breaks down eventually amd could move to samsung again or something like that um and i think 
you're correct completely right with like the whiplash effect with the gaming industry like i've said kind of or i'm kind of implied i'm worried about a little worried about like a gaming crash uh like at the level of the 80s i don't think gaming will ever go away because it's one of the most popular hobbies in the world now <laughs> but if you have a bunch of studios that were huge they can't make money anymore 20 of the like 20 or big studios or a bunch of double a studios get shut down because these entities that keep buying them can't support all of them you might just see fewer good games for a or, while or they all feel the same again there's the ubisoft the game effect and the sony game effect which some of it's not bad it's like you know if one sony studio does that makes the best clouds why don't they use that cloud tech in all their games so on and so forth but you do see this thing where like a lot of the gameplay starts to look and feel the same in all ubisoft all sony games what happens when a third of all games are controlled by microsoft are they all going to start to have the same side missions and look the same why would Microsoft be free from that happening, whereas Ubisoft isn't? And Sony's, I think, actually started to publicly acknowledge, and so is Ubisoft. Yeah, we need to fix our games feeling the same. Like, what happens when a third of the games are controlled by the same group? Yeah, and I guess I haven't thought about from Ubisoft's perspective, because to me it's almost kind of seemed like this is what Ubisoft wants to do. Mm. Where it's, And maybe I'm just completely off base on that. Like, oh, they just want to make open world Check bot, uh, checklist games for the most part, which I'm not even, I'm not saying those are bad. Having one of those every year or two is good. And the fact that they produce a bunch of them in a bunch of different loca locales and eras is like, oh, which Assassin's Creed get type game do you want? Do you want to get the Assassin's Creed? Do you want to get post pandemic Assassin's Creed? Do you want to get, do you want to get, <laughs> yeah. get um, weird? villain assassin's creed which one do you want well and, I, and what do we we saw i saw an ad for what is it rainbow six extraction and before the title came up i thought it was an expansion back to the division too you know <laughs> yeah, like they're wearing like the, the same outfits you know yeah and i think sony's was a bit more accidental mm -hmm. although they realize <laughs> what they've done i think by now but uh, yeah I, I would love to see gorilla revive uh kill zone but that's or make something new or or make something new. Yeah. I don't need young Sheldon. <laughs> make a new thing. All right. <laughs> young Killzone. Young kill yeah. <laughs> young Hellgast. All right, Dan. So my understanding is you haven't looked at the recent news, and I wanted to call you while you're at work for just like five minutes to get this reaction to add to broken silicon. Um Dan, Sony just bought Bungie. You can unmute yourself now and tell me what you think. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting it to, something to happen this soon, but... Well, and I'm already seeing in the Moore's Laws Dead Discord people saying things like, um, you know, this is prophetic, this is what they were talking about. I guess we expected them to buy a few places, but was Bungie on your radar at all? No, but I guess this fulfills their shooter category that I think we talked about on the most recent podcast. Right, which, here's the funny thing as well, I think they also publicly announced that they don't plan to make this, plan to have a bunch of exclusives they pull from Microsoft. In my opinion, this is a bargaining chip, so they can just, this is insurance. This is them going, well... Now we know they won't pull Call of Duty off because we can pull Destiny and whatever Bungie's working on from them. And 
I have to say it, you know, I've heard backroom stories about like what Nintendo and Sony did when, you know, when Sony was first founded out of spite of on Nintendo screwing them over. To me, this also is a clear punch specifically to say now we own the, the people who made Halo, right? There's no way around it, right? This also just yeah. feels like a, there's a reason they chose Bungie. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's not a studio they have a strong relationship with, really, compared to the other things we talked about. I mean, other studios that are in the running. So I don't think it's the one you would expect, but it makes sense as a as an offensive action or a. You know, I <laughs> I, I think though we might acknowledge there's been a lot of deals with Destiny on PlayStation in the past, but I don't even remember, honestly, because I think Xbox was getting some deals as well. I, I think, no, I think Destiny had a bunch of PlayStation stuff, if I remember correctly. I, I don't know, Dan, like, <laughs> I expected you to laugh when I told you. Do you have any other thoughts on this? I mean, I, we warned people this was going to happen. I think it's happened sooner than we thought. From what Jason Schreier is reporting, this actually was in the talks for a while, and they did an incredible job of keeping it secret but that it actually was for a while. I, I mean, like, I don't know, any like what anything else you think about like Sony owning Bungie, and do you think this is the last one? Because I really don't. I mean, I think there are two ways to look at it. I think there's a possibility that if you're being optimistic, this could be the end of it. Like they have their, to put it in military terms, they have their armed standoff, and now they'll just both go quiet for a while, or this is going to lead to acceleration, and I think that's probably what's going to happen. You think acceleration is more likely than... I hope I'm wrong, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, think so as, I think so as well. I think there's no doubt that Sony's talking to Square Enix, Konami, Capcom, Sega, and Ubisoft. They just bought Bungie, by the way, Dan, yeah. for $3.6 and... I think that all of these other ones, they can at least afford to get a couple others. I think what, so who said it? I think Hogue said their limit is at least $5 billion and they haven't, they've only spent a little over half of that so far. I guess we'll see. <laughs> I, I actually do need to go. So this is the end of this short conversation that we can have it right now, I think. All right, Dan. Well, I did want to get your candid laugh because <laughs> i knew you'd have one and thanks for calling in and i guess i'll just talk a little longer without you but we'll let you get back to work killing fish uh frogs but okay oh yeah oh so it is frogs today all right and which is what dan does of course as a geneticist a joke but all right bye dan bye. yeah and i guess from my perspective though other thing i want to add the next thing i was going to bring up to dan if he could stay a little longer but of course i'm glad he could talk at all <laughs> stepping out of the lab today is I just want to point out how stupid this is, though. And I don't mean for Sony. I think their hands were forced. And I don't even mean all the acquisitions are dumb. Like, you know, some of the smaller ones that Sony and Microsoft have made make sense. It feels like, yeah, that's a smaller studio. Now they'll get more funding. But these are, these are giant studios that I just, you know, I guess before my, next, my big point, I'll, I'll say this, too. I, I think there's no doubt that Sony is looking at two things that yes they're probably going to give Bungie some games you know from their own catalog or ask or, or or fund Bungie to really become an even bigger studio and make new games they probably didn't have the funding to do but at the same time there's no doubt they're going to keep making Destiny they bought Bungie to have Destiny and 
They're going to keep making Destiny for obvious financial reasons the same way Activision's going to keep being a mostly Call of Duty factory. So I don't, I, I, I would I would hesitate any PlayStation fanboys. I, I would say, don't just say, oh, this means now Bungie's going to make this, 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 and this. I, something probably, but it's not like Activision is just going to stop forcing Raven to make a bunch of Call of Duty games and all this other stuff. They're, they're both going to keep making what they're making, I think. And it's gonna be it's gonna be a while before we even know if they're making other stuff. Well, actually, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe they announce games three years ahead of time sometimes. So maybe they'll announce something to prove it. But anyways, the overall point I just want to make now that this is officially an arms race, Sony is firing back in. This is so inefficient for creativity. I think M- maybe I'll be wrong. And, and and I said that in the bulk of the broken silicon that you I think you'll already have heard. This will probably be cut in after that. Um, you know, I I think that there's a chance we could get to a world where Sony builds new studios and says, oh, now they have Call of Duty potentially, so we should revive Killzone and all these other things. I think there's a chance Sony does that. And then in response, Microsoft makes new studios as well. But I just, I feel like more likely anything they were going to build on the side, they were already probably going to do eventually both sides, Microsoft and Sony. And all this does is waste money, right? Think about, and and again, like $70 billion for the Microsoft Activision acquisition. I've already talked that to death, how many things they could buy. I mean, even Sony's like, what is it? Yeah, $3.6 billion deal for Bungie. Think of how much it costs to make a game. They could make a new Bloodborne, a new Demon's Souls, three new Spider-Man games, and reboot Killzone with that money. Like. That is 3.6 billion is enough for at least six games. Like they could, and those are expensive games. You know, Sony could have used this money to make new studios and games. Microsoft could be using this money to make more things. Instead, this money was spent on some on stuff we were mostly already going to get. I could be wrong about that, but I that's kind of a closing thought I have on this. Is I just want to point out. How inefficient it is for creativity, all this money being thrown around really to get more chess pieces when they could have been making new chess pieces, then they could have been making new things we could play. It sucks. I think Sony had no choice at this point, um, and I don't think it's over. I have no idea if Microsoft will try to buy EA or something next. You know, EA's kind of in the toilet too. Who knows? But I, I definitely don't think Sony's done, and I just wish it didn't come to this but i think that's all i will say in this episode so far i think it would be careless to keep talking about this before the dust has settled you know who knows if there's things that we already got wrong about it or something but that that is our initial take on it and i thought it was worthwhile to add it to the episode so sorry gerard but you know he did reach out and say he could handle this and I just felt like it would be ridiculous if we didn't try to add an addendum to the episode uh, before it went live. And to the patrons, oh, sorry, it's coming out a few hours late. But anyways, back to the rest of the show. This piece of content is brought to you by Vite Ramen. For 2022, give yourself the gift of an easy-to-make-at-home meal that's healthy, reasonably priced, and above all else, actually tasty so that you actually do eat a healthy meal. I eat it all the time and it really tastes fantastic. It's so easy to either eat a packet by itself as a lunch or you can put a couple of eggs in there while it's boiling and 
Well, you can then have a hearty meal at the end of the day. Click the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% off a special bundle just for Moore's Law Z fans that includes spoon, chopsticks, and more. This is a great deal for you, and it really does help the channel tremendously. Seriously, I eat it. It's good. They've been supporting Moore's Law Z for months, and you buying their products supports me. And you know what? You really should try to if you want a healthy and tasty snack to start out this year and maybe get rid of some of that holiday weight. Buy Vite Ramen today. All right, let us move on to the second story, finally. <laughs> Bloomberg reports that NVIDIA is quietly preparing to abandon the $40 billion ARM bid. Quoting from Bloomberg, NVIDIA Corp is quietly preparing to abandon its purchase of ARM LTD from SoftBank Group after making little to no progress in winning approval for the $40 billion chip deal. According to people familiar with the matter that we have spoken with, NVIDIA has told partners that it doesn't expect the transition to close, according to one person who asked not to be identified because the discussions are private, obviously. SoftBank, meanwhile, is preparing... A stepping up preparation for an ARM initial public offering as an alternative to the NVIDIA takeover, another person has told us as well. The purchase, poised to become the biggest semiconductor deal in history when it was announced in September of 2020, has drawn a fierce backlash from regulators in the chip industry itself, including ARM's own customers. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission sued to stop the transaction in December of 2021, arguing that NVIDIA would become too powerful if it gained control over ARM's chip design. The acquisition has also faced resistance in China, where Authorities are inclined to block the takeover if it wins approval elsewhere, according to one person. But they don't expect it to get that far. Right. And I, you know, it's funny. Uh, of course, we just talked about this with Hogue Law. Um, and I talked about this with Daniel Nenny. Again, links in the description for that one as well, where I think Daniel made the made an excellent point early on of just that that really informed my overall opinion, I think, about half a year ago, where he's like, look. Yes, regulators in the EU are trying to block the deal. Yes, there's other people and regulators that will try to block the deal. But at the end of the day, here's what it comes down to. Apple doesn't want this to happen. Samsung doesn't want this to happen. Qualcomm doesn't want this to happen. No one wants AMD doesn't want this to happen. No one wants this to happen. And all these companies, any individual one fighting Nvidia might lose. Although Apple's the strongest one, and now they're united fighting Nvidia. And and it's like if all of these people are going to continue to make phone calls, work together, look into ways to make this hard for Nvidia, that at the end of the day, it's probably not going to go through for that reason. I think that's point number one. Um, before we even get into what Bloomberg said here, I think point number two though is the FTC blocking it just pretty much killed it. And Hogue pointed out that the EU paused their investigation only because they're busy. And it's like, yeah, why would we, you know, why would the EU regulation bodies keep going full steam ahead with this type of block or investigation, whatever, as long as the Americans are going even harder at it when they can work on other, you know, anti-competitive regulations as well. And then if the U.S. stops working on it, oh, then we'll just go back to it. And and, mm -hmm. and he made it clear that the U.K. was on board as well. Now, this Bloomberg brings up China. So let me get this straight. If the FTC fails, then they have to deal with the EU, then the U.K., then China, all individually blocking it. And something I brought up to Hogue on the last podcast was, you know, if I was an old-timey steel baron, I might do 20 years of fighting to try to get something that would make me a monopoly. It'd be worth it. Who cares? But in the technology industry, I'm not even sure how useful ARM will be to them if they can't do anything special without owning them for 20 years. So, And, and I don't, yeah. it wouldn't be 20, but it'd probably be 10 or 5 or 10 years, and that's just an eternity in this industry. I, I, I really think you don't need Bloomberg to say this. You know, I think this deal's dead.
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But this deal, I forgot how long this deal has been t- mm-hmm. discussed before. Like, I, I guess it was September 2020. T- how time flies. Um, and it's been, it's felt dead in the water. Like, I feel like since a couple months after it was announced, because there's just too many forces that don't want it to happen. And the the fact that they bring up China doesn't want it to happen is kind of a thought I'd really never thought of before. Of course, they wouldn't want that, that to happen either. They make a bunch of arm-based stuff, yep. too. And I don't know if you know this, Tom, the U.S. and China don't have the greatest relations right now. I don't think they would want a, <laughs> a U.S. company yeah. to own arm. Yeah, and x86. Um, because yes. then Intel and AMD own that and VIA. So, and those are, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. Like, the, the two most powerful governments in the world don't want this, are going to make sure this gets blocked. I've heard the Russia wanted to as well. So, I mean, like, you literally have like, an, you have like five <laughs> massive, like, this isn't going through. And, and, and yeah. NVIDIA knows it at this point is basically what I think this article shows. Yeah. And how much money are you going to sink into this? For a deal that might not even happen, like I think they've already sunk a couple billion <laughs> into it, and at a certain point, it's just not worth spending more money for a thing that probably won't happen. You know, one thing I also have to bring up that a contact of mine pointed out is you understand that if Nvidia were to fight this with the FTC, they would have to go to court, and then it is the FTC's job because they wouldn't sue this. They would not sue NVIDIA unless they saw it as a likely anti-competitive move. Mm-hmm. So to prove their point, they're now going to go to court and spend days arguing in recordings about how NVIDIA has been anti-competitive in the past and that they shouldn't be allowed to do this in the future. Do you think NVIDIA wants there to be a public court battle where one side is just bringing up every time NVIDIA has been anti-competitive in the past and then goes, you know, maybe we should look into that one too, you know? There's that. And I, just from a public consciousness perspective, I think there's some anti-competitive stuff they've done that doesn't necessarily rise to the, like, hmm. deal of being monopolistic, but, like, uh, what, why can't I think of what it was called? Their, the GPP, uh, GeForce Partner Program? Yeah, that, their uh, black box uh, gaming tool where they just nerf performance for AMD graphics cards in some games. And their own, but uh, mostly AMD. And, yeah, Any nerfing they do, it just nerfs their own like 5%, but nerfs AMD 20. Yeah, like, it's not a good look, and I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten about that happening because... AMD was in a bad position at the time anyway, so no one cared about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, uh, yeah, this overall just isn't good for NVIDIA at a certain point. It's not worth spending billions to have your laundry thrown on display in front of everybody, your dirty laundry. Like, that, that's what it really comes down to. Mm-hmm. And then to go, okay, and then we're going to have to do that in the EU, and then the UK, and then China. <laughs> good luck. It's a communist country. They can just say, well, whatever, you can't come here and then they already have worry you know and risk fives right there waiting for everyone to use if arm was taken away it's dumb no that's true it almost yeah. makes me wonder what they thought would happen if they thought oh let's just see if we can get this through but yeah i i, I think it's just so painful i thought i thought late last year i thought like almost certainly dead 
when I saw the FTC thing, I was like 99% dead after like thinking about all the other bodies outside of the FTC and the EU just getting in line to spank NVIDIA, a big old spanking line, if I may <laughs> yeah. make that metaphor. I just, I don't, yeah. It's like, it's like right now, the NVIDIA arm deal, if you've seen Airplane, is that old lady who's hysterical and FTC is the one getting to slap her first and then next is the EU and then next is going to be the UK and then next will be China, then Russia. Then I think that's what you, it's just a, it's just a line of people shaking this old lady and slapping her. Is And why would you sign up for that, even if you survive yeah. it, you know? Um, let us then move on to story number three. RTX 3050 launches NVIDIA Rickrolls reviewers again. And yep, that's what I titled this write-up that I passionately put down here. This week, NVIDIA launched an imaginary graphics card that, as usual, Rickwalt rolled the gaming community. In summary, NVIDIA pretended they had a 6500 XT competitor. They named it the 3058 GB. The card performed exactly like a 1660 Ti with 8GB, including the same efficiency, actually, if you look it up. NVIDIA launched the card with near zero stock at prices 50% higher than MSRP. And yet, because of this fake MSRP, it got better reviews than its AMD counterpart that you can actually buy. Indeed, though NVIDIA positioned its card in marketing as a 1660 Ti replacement that crushes the 6500 XT, the reality is is on the street and i mean just in real life it is priced like the far superior rx 6600 this is a 6600 competitor not a 6500 xt competitors and frankly reviewers fell for it again most disturbing about the situation is the fact that the initial launch is made up of GA106 cards cut down an absurd amount, including PCIe lanes, to GA107 RTX 3050 Ti laptop specs. This card was clearly a rushed publicity stunt, done because NVIDIA couldn't have GA107 desktop cards ready anytime soon. In other words... Every 3050 desktop card sold could have been a 3066 gigabyte that was stronger and cost NVIDIA less to make. It has been proven by Moore's Law Zed and Gavers Nexus that NVIDIA had trouble making the 3066 gigabyte profitable for $250 in 2020, and now they are pretending they could make an 8 gigabyte card with recent shortages for that price in 2022? There's no way around it. The fact is that this card is impossible to sell at $250 based on years old info. And yet reviewers acted like it might actually be $250, like waiting and seeing was required at all. Seriously. And again, I need to emphasize this. Guys, not just me. Gamers Nexus. And, and, and I think after that, it was backed up by more sources. I forgot who, uh, more websites as well. They couldn't make a GA106 card, which is what this uses right now, profitable with six gigabytes. And for 250 in 2020, how the hell are they doing that with eight gigabytes with current uh, component pricing? They can't. And in the fact that anyone ever pretended it would blows my mind. Anyways, and more, in fact, Moore's Law Zed has spoken to multiple distributors showing they received RX 6500 XTs for about $220, and they typically then plan to sell them for 250 to 270 So just so you know, guys, on Newegg, those 6500 XTs for 270 they're typically paying... I don't know, between 215 230 for them. And from what I've seen from uh, purchases, uh, it's about $400 to have a 3050 delivered to your micro center right now. And that's why you're seeing them sold for 420 <sighs> So I just had to make that point very clear as well. I'm not sure. I mean, we did a whole die shrink talking about it. It's out there for patrons. I think it's really, really good. Um, and I think this is making us think, Dan, about should we do a die shrink on the idea of what 
should even need to be the volume for a product to exist. Like, can NVIDIA make 13090 Ti and then pretend that card exists? Because, frankly, it doesn't. I think well, that's another question to ask. But I, I brought that up. I've read this big old write-up. I'm clearly still mad about it. <laughs> what did you think of the whole situation, Dan? What did you think of what I just said? Well, I mean, the 3090 Ti is the evidence I have for the card's existence is a video from a couple weeks ago of a guy holding up a card that looks like a 3090 to me. I don't, I'm not saying it doesn't, they don't have 3090 Ti's. It's just like, that's the evidence I have for its existence. I don't know what a real product is. I, I think I brought this up. <laughs> the inception of that idea is me bringing it up. Like, do these, what, what is a real product? Like, at what point can we call a product a product? Because I guess I will say with the 3050, you can buy it on Newegg right now, Tom, for the low, mm. low price of $640. Oh, $600 is the lowest price, uh, uh, 3050 on Newegg right now. Uh, so in some ways, it's almost uh, in between a 6600 and 6600 XT competitor based on pricing, if you ask me. Um, this is a hilarious to me. The 6500 XT, I'll say availability seems to be drying up a little bit based on what I checked today. Prices seem to be drifting upwards towards 300. But there's still a $270 model there right now. It's Azrock though, and those aren't very good. I don't know. No, think. it's Power Color. <laughs> oh, it is Power Color. And I did okay. see an Azrock one come in stock for $200 a few days ago. Of course, that one sold out immediately, which is what you should yeah. actually buy that card at if you have to buy it, which again, I say half. It's the only reason you're getting this card is you have to. I, I wouldn't pay 270 personally. Again, though, unless you, I mean, there's really no other choice though, but go, go on though, sorry. Like, but like what I'm, I'm trying to say though is, yes, the 3050 was launched positioned against the 3050 and at their uh, respective MSRPs, the 3050 is obviously the better card to buy, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's 25% more, yeah, 25% more money about that much more powerful, and it has more RAM. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, I don't think it's 2.45 times more expensive than a 6500 XT, which is what it's currently selling for. And if you're desperate for a card and you're looking to spend that much money, buy a 6600 XT or buy a 6600 because you can get a 6600 for about... Let me check. You can get a 6600 for $150 cheaper currently, or you can spend $130 more and get a 6600 XT. Get one of those. <laughs> yeah. Like that that's, that's almost seems to be what's going on, is the release of both of these cards have made the 6600 look like a good thing to buy. <laughs> like, uh, and I don't think it is. I don't think you should spend $480 on a 6600, but... Frankly, if you're looking for quote-unquote low-end, that's the best you have. Yeah, and if you're in 1080p, that one performs. And it overclocks well, performs fine. I, it's not great, but that's, yeah. I mean, and I'm just looking out here, and I, um, you know, I, I don't think, uh, do I have here? You know, yeah, okay. So actually, let me skip to this reader mail right here then, because I'm stumbling across something Googling here. Cardinal Sagata writes in, Hi, Tom. In a video on January 27th, you referred to the RTX 3050 as an imaginary friend. The launch, a publicity stunt, and the MSRP is unsustainable. It's not, unless you call me and Gamers Nexus and I think Digi Times and someone else a liar. Like, we know they can't profit with that card. 
at that price. But anyways, let's imagine that quarter one passes and you have data from the quarter in your hands. What sort of numbers would you expect to see that would prove your point? Perhaps total worldwide shipments of 100,000 or so, about 0.2% of the market, prices above 320 even if the mining market crashes. What sort of numbers would you expect for the 6500 XT? Um, 200,000 plus sold. And for the 3050, my estimate would be 10 to 40,000, you know, like with probably being in the middle of that based on the numbers I've seen reported in some areas. And in terms of like, when would I expect to say I'm right? I frankly, I mean, I, I'm looking at this right now and the closest micro center to me right now, which is in Marietta, Georgia, that says 25 plus power color, 6,500 XT in stock for 260. So it's mm-hmm. available, and the debate about this is done. <laughs> I, I think the I, I can't speak to how many of either of these cards are being produced. They have, Dan, I'm they not, have more in Georgia than all thirty fifties ever made. <laughs> I I know you probably because I'm just saying I don't have any concept of how much they, they right. made because this isn't my job. I know you. And other people that do that that do this full time probably have closer to a realistic idea of what mm-hmm. might be being produced. But the fact of the matter is, it is so evident that the 3050 is being undersupplied compared to the 6500 XT. It's impossible that it isn't. And they don't expect and, any more shipments of them in most. I mean, there will be a couple dropping. People need to remember some of them, just like the 6500 XT, are delayed because of logistics issues right now. But mm-hmm. basically, after this month, don't expect any to drop. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe, maybe what's going on is, who knows, they're being supplied in equal numbers maybe there's twice as many 6500 xts or something and people and there's about equal demand or something so the price for the 6500 xt is just remaining lower i mean you should just be buying a 6500 xt still over a 600 dollar 3050 i would think so yeah <laughs> because clearly the 30 3050 has it is not being received by the market as 250 dollars. it is somehow being received by the market as a 600 card which is bizarre to me how people are making purchasing decisions because you can get a stronger card for cheaper right now that has more RAM. Well, I mean, this, at right, that no, point, you're, Same, at that RAM, point you're getting above the price of a 6600 XT, which in 1080p comes close to a 3060 Ti. I mean, I don't even know what you're doing anymore. Yeah, that's what, like, that's what I said. Mm-hmm. Like, at, th- at this point, uh, if pricing for the 3050 doesn't start to decline at a certain point, you could make an argument this is a 6600 XT competitor based on mm-hmm. how it's priced. Yeah, and, and Micro Center, they have 25 plus 6600 XTs in stock in Marietta, Georgia for $540. Ah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess if you're not a high resolution gamer, even if you are, this is stronger slightly than a 3060 and 1440p. This is the card to get. And it does show that this is improving. It's just not a going to improve for the 3050 because it's not a card they can profitably make at that price. So they're not going to make it. Yeah. So uh, my advice for you is if you're desperate for a card, clearly the best option is a used 1650 uh, T, yeah, 1650 Super off of eBay, you can maybe get fetch one for like $225 if you're lucky, maybe $250 or the 6500 XT. Those are, in my opinion, the your literally your two choices. If you're looking 
looking to spend any more, but you don't want to get into the crazy expensive range, the 6600 seems to be the best choice on the market right now. I don't know what how much there is to say about my opinion because the opinion is self-evident. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, and I, and I, I think... don't think there's a counter to that, that opinion. The 6600 is cheaper, stronger. And unambiguously stronger too, and 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 ease and much more readily available. At least in the U.S. Again, I know I know you're going to write in from Denmark and say I can't get it. Okay, I I don't I don't check all hundreds of countries that are out there. I'm sorry, but at least in the U.S., guys, and at least from what I've also actually seen in Australia and the U.K. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know what else there really is to say about this either. I think what really annoys me is just how predictable it was, how obvious it is this isn't going to be its price, and how AMD got burned for just being honest about the price of their shitty graphics card. I mean, look, it's shitty. And again, it's like, do I have to? Like, yeah, duh. Let's talk about self-evident. I know. But it also is the option. And me and you were talking about this the other night, how the 1650 Super's price on eBay is drifting lower. It's because now there's at least some standard, maybe a shitty standard, but a standard in the market bringing down prices between $200 to $300. That card is not the 3050. It's not helping the market at all. Yeah, because a card on the market already exists that fulfills its need and it's the 6600 yeah well and let me say this like and the amd is not a charity amd is making money abs are making money on every 6500 xt sold but they're not making a crazy amount of money and it's important that they make some money because otherwise they wouldn't make it nvidia is not making the 3050 and there's two ways you can run a business both ways are trying to make as much money as possible one is being honest about pricing saying this is what it costs us to make it and we're going to make as many of them as we can because they do make us money each one sold. That's AMD. Or you can lie about the price and push people to try to buy $1,000 3070s. And, and, and that's all I'm saying is it's like when people say, oh, we don't want, we can't accept these prices. No, okay, but what you're accepting is these companies lying to you. And now I've heard, and we'll get to it soon, rumors that AMD is considering removing MSRP on future products just like NVIDIA has for their last two launches. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. because it would benefit them more, it turns out, if you get lied to. Apparently people want to be lied to. Yeah, I, I guess. That's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, imaginary best friend. That's a good way to put it. Indeed. QH Freddy writes in, you reported NVIDIA halting or lowering GPU production. Yeah, late October, wasn't it? They said that happened. I don't I, I wouldn't I don't I can't say that that's still the case, but could it have been only 30 series production? I think that's what I said, QH. And could they have been shifting production to another another thing like the 16 series instead to push back against the 6600 or 6500? Um, so my understanding is the RTX 2060 12 gigabyte is a new production run with some people suggesting it's to keep a good relationship with TSMC because you never want to have a situation where your production at them dries up completely, which I'm not, I know people are like, well, they still make new 1650 products. A lot of those might just be stockpile dies though. Um, to answer your question though, keep in mind anything they make now, component prices are up. So it costs more than it would have made to would have cost in the past at least a couple of years ago. I don't know if at the 2060 launch. And yes, they could have done this, but to actually help the market, they wouldn't have made a 2060 12 gigabyte mining card. They would have made a 2060 six gigabyte that they can put at a $300 MSRP and actually spit out in high numbers, which I think they could have. Now, I don't know exactly how they would have done it, but I think they could have made. 
they probably could have made something that's the equivalent of a 2060 Super 6 gigabyte, which is what the 12 gigabyte is, just with 12 gigabytes. And that would have yeah. performed just below a, twi- uh, it would have been almost a 2070. I almost wonder if yields actually would be good enough where they could even enable it more than a 20. Se- like, I wonder, could they have called it like a 2060 Ti 6 gigabyte? I don't know. <laughs> like, could it have been yeah. something with more CUDA cores than the 2060 Super, but only six gigabytes to save on costs. I think they could have done that. I think they would have had the yields. And I think if they would have done that and sold it at $300, it would have profoundly helped the market. And I would have said, everyone ignore the 6500 XT, get the actually $300 2060 Ti, six gigabyte or whatever it would have been called. They just didn't do that. Yeah. And I guess I don't know the whole pricing debate but if they could have released something like that at three hundred dollars that's at least an attempt at the low end even if it's not the greatest attempt it may be the best one they could have made mm-hmm. yeah i mean or just rebranded and call it the 30 30 40 or i nah, just call it a 2060 ti or something goofy actually but yeah um all right l- l- let's move on then I-, I don't know how long this will be but i think we have to bring it up at least once because it technically falls within this news cycle, Dan, <laughs> to discuss with you. The ARC 6500 XT4 Gigabyte launched. Of course, this by now, this is clearly a post-launch discussion. I've done videos. We've talked about it in Die Shrinks. I've talked about it in Loose Ends. I don't think we need to discuss it much. But do you have anything left to say about the 6500 XT launch? I, I, I think we mostly covered it in the 3050 portion of this episode because... You know, once again, it's not overall that interesting of a product. It's a product that in previous years of something like this, the equivalent product, if it were at least in 2019 or something, probably would have cost 140 or something. 140, 150 bucks. No one would really care about it. It's like, yep, that's the low end card and that's what it would be. Uh, The fact of the matter is, I, I think this is just the card that made for some reason made everyone realize how bad things are compared to previous years mm-hmm. and all of the reception although i have to say the fact that it only has four pcie lanes is stupid the fact that it doesn't have encode less stupid in my opinion but still not well, good <laughs> if you want to hear the whole encoding discussion listen yeah. to the die shrink um, but if they would have released that at $140, no one would be talking about it, but they can't release it at $140 because they would be losing money on the card. So this is what we have. Buy this if you need to buy a card or if you can get a used like $1,650 or better card for less money, which I did digging the best you're going to get on the used market. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... You know, there's an argument to be made, and again, it's not what I want them to do, nor am I saying they necessarily will do it, but I have to assume they're thinking about it, you know. Should they have just said this is 140, do it, NVIDIA doesn't have like 10 cards at MSRP instead of like 100,000, and then, <laughs> you know, like just have it be there for like one second that there were 10 of them you could have gotten for 140 and then let the price shoot up to 300 with scalpers, which again, I mean, people are are really not acknowledging enough how much this has burned scalpers. We talked about that too, Dan. Um, yeah. I, I checked eBay and there were people trying to sell scalp 6500 XTs for 600. None of them moved. I'm tired of people sending me links to that, guys. Just because something's listed for a price doesn't mean anyone bought it. I can list a 6500 XT for 10 grand. Does that mean it's selling on eBay for 10 grand? Fuck no. 
you know? And now those scalpers have lowered the price to like $300, and I'm just laughing my ass off. They're going to lose money on this, so maybe scalpers are starting to learn a message here, too. Um, but yeah, you do wonder, should AMD just do what NVIDIA did, like pretend the price is lower, sell one card at that price, let the price shoot up to double what it really is, and then just walk away? I don't know. And, and um, I, I'm not sure they will do that, but I, I don't know. I'm starting to wonder. I, I think this just speaks to the tendency, at least in my opinion, of the market or how people receive the market in general is, frankly, I think AMD is fighting an uphill battle with messaging with anything they do. Like, if you ask me if the AMD and NVIDIA released identical pro products for the same amount of money, the AMD product would be worse reviewed mm. because... Or if not official reviews, all the comments on Reddit would still be saying you should get the NVIDIA one instead. And it's just like, I don't know what AMD should do at this point, because I think if AMD did try to do that, it would be criticized. And, you know, like the obvious moves, like launching a card with no MSRP have been pretty heavily criticized on NVIDIA's end. But that's a huge, insane move. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, Cole Addict writes in, hi, Tom, Dan. And Steve. Well, Steve's not here, Call Addict, so I'm not sure what's happening. Although, I think he will be coming on again to discuss well, hopefully more interesting products than this. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to invite him on again, but we have been talking offline, and he'll probably be on later this year. As I believe the demographic most likely to buy the 6500 XT is holdouts whose cards are dying and can neither wait nor buy a higher tier model. And that group is guaranteed to be working with PCIe 3.0. Why did I say it like a Canadian? 3.0. 3.0. Do you agree that this release will do more long-term harm to the brand's reputation than it can compensate with servicing this market segment demand right now? I, I think right now there's an argument they shouldn't have launched this. I think I'm inclined to think that whatever you think, that the launch should have been entirely different. Um, should they have not launched it at all? I don't know if I agree with that. Um, do I think this will do long-term damage to their brand? I, I don't know. I've actually reached out to a few AMD sources out of curiosity, and the general read I get right now is they're not sure if it's a mistake yet, but at least in the short term, they're like, fuck reviewers, the card's selling, you know? And, and if it's selling, I guess, I, I, I think it could do some damage to AMD as a brand, though, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know, you know? Um, I think it's too early to say for sure, one thing that I would say, though, the PCIe 3.0 thing, yeah, I think people forget, uh, you know, that this isn't just for people with old systems. I mean, let me see here. Creoge Freddy writes in again, and he says, what do AIBs think of the 6500 XT? Do they, or AMD for that matter, expect to sell a lot of them? Do they expect it to be a very short run and have the 6600 replace it soon? What do they think of the impact DG2 will have on the 6500 XT? And I like this question because I just want to make something clear to people. AIBs don't like when they're pushed to sell a card they make less money on, but they do see it as an opportunity to gain mindshare. Like Sapphire specifically would say... Yeah, I mean, we'd rather sell 6700 XT, but we're not just gaining mindshare for AMD if we sell a bunch of these. We're gaining Sapphire mindshare if we, you mm -hmm. know, and, and that's true. You know, I get a Sapphire card and I like it. I go, I'm more likely to get Sapphire in the future, you know, and they see this as an important thing to do before ARC launches. Also, OEMs I talked to love this card, and that's because I just don't know how, to, how many times I need to say this. They were putting 1050 TIs and 1650s for like $300 plus in pre-builds. 
Now they can put the 6500 XT. And guys, Zen 3 supports PCIe 4.0. Alder Lake supports PCIe 5.0, actually. <laughs> you know, even cheap <laughs> Alder Lake boards have 4.0. So OEMs absolutely love the 6500 XT because now they can put a $200 entry option into their desktops that isn't weaker than a you know 1650 you know and it performs in a lot of games if you lower some settings actually pretty close to a 1660 super so oems love it they also love it because they can actually buy it i've heard that getting 1650s to like be put in a dell computer is a pain in the ass because they actually don't make a lot of them anymore if any they oh, yeah. and so the fact that they can actually buy these up in the tens of thousands every month and then ship them out i mean this is a dream for oems and that now they can actually do entry-level pre-builds. So, again, the, the way the do-it-yourself community is reacting, AIBs and OEMs do not feel the same way. And I think that's something that people need to understand. And from that perspective, I think AMD is probably happy, too, is they're like, dude, most of our sales are through OEMs anyways. Yeah, I, it, it's important to note that I, I do think over time the DIY market gets more and more popular, but... It's important to note that it's still not the majority of the PC community. Yeah. Uh, By any means. Like, yeah. Annual Chief writes in, about the 6500 XT debacle, didn't AMD adopt a somewhat similar strategy at the Radeon 7 with it being a cut-down chip for a different use? A buy in a different market with a different product, I suppose. That was high-end. This is low-end this time. These were the early days when people were clamoring for high-end competition, with, and then AMD and wanted something to counter turn and they launched the Radeon 7. I kind of see the 6500 XT as being the opposite strategy, except, you know, that it's in the low end in a very crappy market and it's a mobile mobile chip cranked to 11, missing several features. What do you feel AMD should learn from these experience, both the Radeon 7 and the 6500 XT, if you agree with the comparison, and trying to repurpose chips in both high and low end to address tomorrow's market at the last minute? I love this question because <laughs> it is directly comparable <laughs> to Radeon 7, which that one they made no money on the first month of sales. I believe by the time they didn't make that many of them in general, but after the first few months, they actually were making money on each one sold. That is worth mentioning. I think about a hundred bucks profit or so. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is interesting. Do I mean, I think the way to answer this question is, Dan, do you think the Radeon 7 damn, well, its reviews weren't as bad as the 6500 XC, so it's not directly comparable. But I do remember similar takes by reviewers of this is a weird card that the market didn't need for $700. And it's like, I don't know. It's a 16 gigabyte 2080 without ray tracing. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And I mean, the idea that it did a lot of damage, the Radeon 7 would have done a possibly comparable amount of damage to the brand of AMD, I don't think is true because I think the Radeon 7 is honestly a card most people kind of forget about because. Like you said, it, it's an interesting card. It was kind of expensive. They didn't make like any of them, if I'm remembering correctly. So for the initial launch, just... it was a very, very small. It wasn't as bad as Ampere, but it was maybe twice as many as like the 3080, 3090 launch. Mm-hmm. Which for the mar- market it was serving, that's probably. I, I don't think you need as many 3090s as you do uh, lower, <laughs> lower performing markets. But um, I, I think. Uh, from their perspective, like I think AMD is just kind of a smaller company, so to an extent, they have to repurpose their stuff more. Mm. And as they get more money, it would be good if they stop doing that, probably, because every once in a while you get a weird product that doesn't quite make sense, like the 6500 XT. Radeon 7, I think it 
it was a complete graphics card and it made sense for some people to buy. So I think it's, I guess, comparable, uh, I, uncomparable in that way where there's, in my opinion, no, like huge, huge flaws of the Radeon 7 aside from maybe not having um, ray tracing. But <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I do think there is a point here that the lesson to be learned is put more thought into the messaging. Like again, I think we talked about this in the dive shrink, what AMD should have said in hindsight with the 6500 XT, they should have been more upfront about the PCIe issue. And they shouldn't have Definitely. said, step up your 1080p gaming. It should have been, you can build, like build now. Like look at Zen 3 prices. They're cheaper than ever. These have PCIe 4.0. Now you can buy a card to put into your system that you can upgrade later. That doesn't completely suck. That should have been the marketing. Build now, yeah. build a new Zen 3 system. Zen 3 prices are cheaper. But yeah, like messaging, this is something to upgrade a low-end system that might not have 4.0. It's a complete blunder by them and stupid. It's stupid, it, you know, it dumb. Yeah, go f go faster with your card that performs identically to the card with the same name from two years ago. Yeah, that, that was <laughs> like... a dumb way to put it. You know, there's no way around it. And, and I think yeah, even other products too, like when I look at Rembrandt and it's like 12 compute units, you know, maybe 20% better CPU performance, I think at most than uh, Cezanne, you go, is that that much better though at CPU? And is the GPU good enough to really be only the thing in your gaming system when we already have other things coming out soon stronger? Like, wouldn't it have been smarter yeah. for AMD to have made a new APU that had 16 compute units and some Infinity Cache, or maybe even 24 compute units and some Infinity Cache, and only six cores? And then also made a I separate mean, one that has eight cores and maybe not 12 RDNA two compute units but six so that you make the die smaller because you're just they're not even using it half the time I, I do want they need to start doing that and same with this like the 60 the navi 24 to not give it eight pcie lanes is i'm not like again i'm not defending it i am saying they don't have that because it was never meant to be done with anything but paired with rembrandt and alder lake but you'd think they might have foresight to go maybe it will be used for something else and they should have given it eight <laughs> pcie lanes i'm not saying they shouldn't have i'm just explaining to you why they couldn't fix that at the last minute you know that type of stuff needs to stop and that's why i'm like like why didn't they just give it an encoder like make it 10 percent bigger I, whatever dude maybe you won't just use this in laptops i i mean i don't disagree i think this is the ultimate highlight of of that uh design philosophy backfiring mm -hmm. but you know it might have keep happening in the future and they should avoid that if they can yeah and i guess we should probably move on to another story about repurposing already designed things Story number five, AMD Radeon RX 6950 XT, 6850 XT, 6750 XT, RDNA 2 refresh graphics cards rumored to launch in quarter two. And I'm quoting here somewhat from WCCF Tech, we'll also adding my own editorialization to it. According to the latest rumors coming from Chippel's WJM47196, it is reported that AMD's RDNA 2 refresh is coming out in quarter two, 2022, and will feature a brand new branding similar to the new mobile outings. There are two dies currently mentioned to be updated, Navi 21 and Navi 22. Few details are confirmed, but at the very least, 18 gigabit per second memory seems to be all but guaranteed, 
which makes sense. That is becoming a new standard and is already included on the low-end 6500 XT. Surely AMD can afford it then also on their high-end models. The big question remains though if AMD will use 6 nanometer for these refreshes. If they do, they could push clocks another 10 to 20% and AMD could have a lineup that at least on paper is very hard for Nvidia to compete with, especially with the 3090 Ti literally not existing. I want to be told, by the way guys, I know, like other people, I think Anthony Greffa at Tweaktown first leaked that 3090 Ti is delayed. I want to be very clear that my contacts, when they've asked NVIDIA about when the 3090 Ti is coming out, they were told not for the foreseeable future, meaning months. Like, and there's no date. So I don't even know if it's coming out to like right before Lovelace. I don't know, guys. Anyways, though, continuing the write up, the only worrisome thought is this then Will AMD give these cards an MSRP? Moore's Law is that isn't sure, especially after seeing the lack of criticism NVIDIA is getting from the community. Will they flagrantly lie about pricing or remove it entirely from products like the 3080 12 gigabyte and 2060 12 gigabyte? And from what I am told, by the way, possibly the 3090 Ti as well. Why would AMD not do this? And it's something to worry about. All right. So what do you think about these uh, rumored cards? And, you know, I guess I will, before I throw it to you, throw out there. One reason this becomes a main story, you know, on this channel, we've been covering others' leaks a little less sometimes just because I don't want to cover things I can't verify myself. Well, I didn't leak this, but I can verify that based on what I'm told, this is almost entirely correct. Or most of it as of now is true. These cards really are coming probably quarter two with at least that memory. So yeah, what, what do you think, Dan? I think um, longer generations require are more likely to require a refresh, whether they want to kind of rebrand that as a new line like AMD has historically done or do what NVIDIA has moved to with just calling things the super when they want to refresh it. It, it, it it's the same difference. Like as far as performance goes, what these will probably be. Five to fifteen percent stronger than whatever mm -hmm. card they. I think it can uh, easily are, be ten percent stronger. Honestly, all of them. It, yeah, it, maybe more than whatever. But like in that range, it's not like it's a new generation. But like if you held off, congrats, you get a bit more performance for the sixty-seven fifty XT instead of the sixty-seven hundred. Um. So from that perspective, I think it just kind of makes sense that they would launch slightly stronger cards i don't know what the ultimate ultimately they're going to do with specs with the exception of them likely using 18 gigabit ram which that alone will give it some more performance so the only real thing to talk about is pricing and as you said will they remove msrp i don't know it seems like they could i haven't seen anything from amd marketing that says that they, this is a thing they're going to do yet but it seems to be maybe uh get less derision than um releasing a card that's the market sees it's too expensive well and, and let me point this out that at the end of the day prices are up by quite a lot to make these cards and uh i've, I've this in the uh wrap up but i'll get to it now like nvidia has raised the price on their founders cards by 6% in Europe. So they've just literally raised prices. Like, I, I just think AMD can discontinue their old cards and at least raise MSRP. They can launch a 6.8. I'm not saying I want them to again, guys. But they can launch... I mean, look at all the 6.950 XTs on Newegg are selling for at least 
I'm sorry, the 6900 XTs on eBay right now, I think, or on Newegg right now, I think are selling for at least 1500 or usually around 1700 So if that's the case, why doesn't AMD just launch a 6950 XT that's at least 10% stronger with an MSRP of 1200 the same price as the 3080 Ti? Why not? You know, yeah. and then actually try to have it hit MSRP. Why not launch a 6850 XT that's like, has an MSRP of like 899 Actually, the price, a lot of, well, 3080s are selling for far more than that, you know, but then actually try to hold that price they might as well you know and launch it as a new model if they can because you know you buy up ram in bulk and i think it's obvious that they are especially what i'm hearing from some console tweaks that might be coming by the way guys (laughs) that 18 gigabit per second is becoming the standard and a lot of companies are buying up that speed in bulk right now and so if anybody's buying up basically only 18 gigabit per second kind of like it seems like they mostly only bought 16 gigabit for our dna2's initial launches why not? Why not do that? And I, I don't know if they even need six nanometer. Let's be honest here. Most of the coolers on these cards are way over engineered, and it's not like they'll have reference models for these, most likely. So, so why can't they just, even if it's still on seven nanometer, clock the sixty nine fifty XT at like two point seven gigahertz with twelve thirteen percent more bandwidth, and they just laugh away the thirty ninety? You know, why not? Why not do that? Like, there's yeah. really no reason not to launch these cards, even if it isn't on six nanometer. Yeah, and I think you you see NVIDIA doing this more. Like, if they see a position in the market or if they see a, a configuration they can release, fuck it. If it who cares if it actually uh, makes our product stack look clean? We can hold a stronger card. We can make a stronger card and we can release it for a price. Let's just make slightly more money or... Hopefully, in AMD's case, let's release something that kills a product. And I don't know why anything would hold MSRP, so I think that might be wishful thinking. But hopefully, it can hold MSRP better than whatever whatever NVIDIA launches at any given price, because there's so many cards in their stack at this point, it's hard to remember. Well, and you know, Zen 3 is getting a lot of competition right now. And they have this wafer capacity on seven nanometer and six nanometer that they can use. Uh, you know, Arc's about to launch. You almost wonder why not, like, it says quarter two, like, why not a month before Arc comes out to desktop, just launch a whole lineup that actually has more of the wafer capacity diverted for RDNA 2, whether on six or seven nanometer. And you just launch a lineup that maybe they raise MSRP, but the MSRP actually holds. You actually have a 6850 XT that's basically 1% weaker than a 6900 XT for like <laughs> 799 MSRP, but it's actually at that price. And a, seven, a 6750 XT that is almost as strong as the top art card, and they just launch it for 550 You know, like, why mm-hmm. not do this? And then just a month before art comes out, have a better entire product stack with high availability and just strike on this market. Similar to kind of what NVIDIA has been doing to AMD. Why not AMD just eventually do this now that they have an opening? And again, there's there's really nowhere to go for NVIDIA here. They can't overclock any of these cards more. I mean, the best they can do is maybe bring some 3070 with GA103, which we're about to get to. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's clear that uh, Ampere at least is being uh, <laughs> is really being milked for all of its worth uh, as far as <laughs> as far as performance goes. As they really just stop caring about how much cards power these cards are consuming. So yeah, you probably can't uh, make a thirty eighty Ti clock much far higher than what it's doing now. <laughs> Unless you want to use um, four hundred watts. Yeah. 
And that's the other thing you say, like, about Ark. I, although I, I don't think it's as big of a talking point anymore. Like, really? Until Ark is going to be that strong when it comes out? Um, yes. I, I don't think that's as discussed but anymore, but, like... AMD and NVIDIA, if they can, will do something to position their products against them. And ARC is coming a year and a half. Maybe. I, I, I'm not sure when ARC is coming out at this point. A year and a half. Yeah, there's after a leak coming RDA up. Two. It's going to be weird. It, it, look, guys, <laughs> it's coming out quarter two. They'll probably paper launch something in quarter one, but some of the products you thought were coming in quarter two are coming way later than you think, as I've already told you, Dave. <laughs> but uh, yeah. and, and don't take that to mean what I think a lot of you think it means. It's 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 not like oh no, their their high end won't be out. No, that's not what I'm talking about. It's just some really specific things are coming later than expected. It seems and. Uh, well, uh, we'll get to that in that video, though. Amiable Chief writes him, You've been saying for a while now that AMD fully expects to take the graphics crown with RDNA 3. Assuming that does turn out to be true, do you still feel AMD may not assign a concrete MSRP to the lineup? I feel like, if nothing else, any figure, no matter how high it is, shows the market that they are back in the reckoning with top-tier performance and a top-tier price, which would not be apparent if they fail to anchor the product to an MSRP. As we well all well know, NVIDIA's lack of MSRP is nothing more than a shameless opportunistic cash grab. Bonus question, before this behavior starts normalizing, does the FTC step in? No. Uh, to that question, let's get out of the way. I don't think so. Um, I don't see anything on the horizon going on with AMD and NVIDIA that would cause that yet. But um, I do think that's an interesting point that if they don't give it an MSRP, it's hard for them to brag about their new lineup. Yeah, that that is a good point. <laughs> Saying this is the tier we're competing in is kind of necessary, and without an MSRP, you're almost not making that declaration. Where I guess when the 3080 Ti was announced without an MSRP. We knew... You mean 3080 12 the, gigabyte, which is as yeah, strong exactly, as the 3080 Ti. Once again, I'm like I said earlier, I'm starting to forget which products are which because there are so many with similar names in that product stack. Yeah, the 3080 12 gigabyte. We knew what the MSRP was. It was already kind of anchored to that point. We knew what it was basically going to sell for within a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so uh, I think that's a good point, and it does make me go, no, I think they will have MSRP, especially because by the time RDNA 3 is out, I do believe prices will be down low enough. Um, I don't think they're going to not launch MSRP with RDNA 3, probably, at first. <laughs> but I, 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 and I think that's probably the best argument I made for why they wouldn't do that. But I, I think for sure you're going to see... I think for sure you're going to see the pricing just be 30% higher than last gen. But may, again, maybe performance doubles, and so at least it feels good, unlike Ampere and RDNA 2, which you couldn't buy because of demand and then mining on the Ampere side. And uh, Yeah. yeah. Um, Today's video is brought to you by CDKoffer.com. Whether you're looking to get good deals on PlayStation, Microsoft Office Professional, or both Windows 10 and Windows 11 operating systems, CDKoffer.com has you covered. CDKey is a long-term sponsor of Moore's Laws Dead, and that's because they have been consistently providing me and Moore's Laws Dead's fans with a service that I think PC gaming just needs. 
reasonable operating system and Microsoft Word prices. We all have to use these products and we don't need to overpay for them if you use cdkeyoffer.com. And you know what? I know I will be using these products later this year for a new Raptor Lake or Zen 4 system most likely. And I will do so knowing that, well, they're all legitimate keys and they are going to be delivered to me quickly and promptly when I buy them. Don't waste any more money than you need to this year. Use the link in the description or on screen to go to cdkeyoffer.com. And when you're there, whatever you decide to buy, make sure you use one of these offer codes. Broken Silicon gets you 25% off all Windows products and Dyshrink gets you 3% off everything else. And this really does help the channel. It helps you save money. Use these offer codes, use the link, go to cdkeyoffer.com today. So, okay, let's move on then to story number six. NVIDIA GA103 pictured 496 millimeters squared and mediocre. This week, the much-rumored but yet-to-be-proven GA103 rumors were mostly codified as true. The RTX 3080 Ti laptop card is indeed not GA104 or GA102. It is its own in-between die. And Geeker Wan, a Chinese YouTuber, has pictures of it. In total, GA103 is powered by... 7,424 CUDA cores, that's 21% more than GA104, 96 ROPs, same amount of ROPs as GA104, uh, 58 RT cores and 232 Tensor cores, 21% more than GA104, and a 256 bus at least in its laptop iteration. Early results show a card that is that uses about 20% more energy than the 3080 laptop variant, the previous NVIDIA mobile flagship. Well, offering 10 to 20% more performance. So yeah, it's not really that impressive so far. It's 20% bigger than GA104. We're offering usually less than 20% more performance and 20% more energy consumption. So yeah, the one thing that still isn't confirmed to me is if the Fold Eye has a 320-bit bus. I've seen a lot of outlets reporting that A4500 actually might be a cut-down GA102 card. Mm. Very cut down, by the way. Uh, <laughs> if it is, I guess, then I I don't know. Uh, if it if it, but uh, but I, I've I've heard conflicting things from other people. So someone needs to dash out one of those. And there, there there's a reason I didn't do my big GA one hundred three leak because while I was confident on some of it, the other things I wasn't as confident in. And I don't know. I guess we'll see if there is if it is three twenty bit total, but they disabled thirty two bits for would that be thirty? Well, more than thirty two bits for. Um, would that be would that be ninety six bits, or would that be, I don't know. Um, like, I think there could be room for a ten gigabyte RTX thirty seventy Ti desktop if it is a three twenty bit card, which would make some sense to launch. As it would, <laughs> I mean, as I think that's a smarter. Yeah, I, I think if they have the capacity, I think that's a better card to launch than a sixteen gigabyte thirty seventy Ti. Like, what the hell is the point? Like, it just looks so silly. Just admit it. You didn't give enough RAM to your cards. But, you know, but what did you see about this? Or what did you think about the 3080 Ti laptop in general as well? Because those reviews are basically all out now. Uh, you know, laptop reviews are always a little weirder. Fewer people cover them. Uh, and it's hard to review a single component of a laptop, you know, because they're all matched together. But in different weird configurations, depending on manufacturer. But it looks... Like it performs slightly better than a 3080, and that's the most you can say about it. Um, 3080 laptop. Honestly, yeah, 30. Sorry, 3080 laptop. Yeah, I should be clear. Uh, it looks like it performs better than a 3080 laptop. So 
if it's not obscenely more expensive, I guess maybe it's a better option unless you care about battery life at all. Because I don't know, looking at the models with the 3080 Ti, like the new Dell one, is like a 50 minute battery life, and that's too low in my opinion. Yeah, but I guess if you have a complete desktop replacement, that's there for what was it like thirty five hundred dollars? But to an extent, extent in my opinion, the th- the laptops that you can get a th- with a 3080 Ti versus the laptops that you can get with like a 3080 or 3070 or 3060, the choice to buy is more influenced by other components in the system almost, where it's like, mm. I, I, I guess I'm getting a laptop with a 3080 Ti because I don't want to have the weaker, I, I don't want to have the last gen i7 paired with it. I want the mm. 12700 paired with it because that. It's probably the best laptop CPU out there right now, right? Uh, yeah. What is it? Was it twelve nine hundred H or whatever it is? Um, yeah, yeah. I, that's an interesting point as well. Is like you're almost not even buying the thirty eighty Ti laptop for the thirty eighty Ti. It's because it comes with the best Alder Lake CPU. I mean, it's it performs very similar to the thirty eighty laptop edition. Yeah, and that's my entire point. It's like the the thing that would drive me to buy that. Although I'm not the person for any of these because they're all between like. The cards, I mean, not cards, the da, da, eh, laptops that I'm talking about are all like $3,200 to $4,000, so I'm not buying any of them. <laughs> but if I were, I think I would be like, oh, well, I would rather have Alder Lake, uh, and I guess the 3080 Ti is secondary to that. Like, whoa, I get 10% more performance and have a 10% lower battery life or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and and I think, yeah, clearly NVIDIA launches something like this because they're like, we got to have a new flashy graphics card to go in those new flashy Alder Lake laptops. I I don't know if there's much else to say here. Um, I mean, to this day, GA104 is clearly the best balanced design die. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe that would change if it had 320-bit bus enabled, but it doesn't in the laptop version. We'll just have to see if that's an option. I haven't... I, I and I could have missed it for everyone listening here. I haven't seen proof there, but I, I also remember there were rumors of a thirty eight a, a GA one hundred three S die and a GA one hundred three die. Who's to say they didn't only make one of them? You know, I I don't know. But until we get a die shot of what A forty five hundreds are using, and even then, what the thirty fifty launch with GA one hundred six, and we'll probably switch to one hundred seven eventually. We still don't know, you know, for sure until mm-hmm. we get a full uh, diagram proving. That although actually is that out there? I thought there may have been a diagram shown of it. Uh, I don't think there is yet for GA one hundred three. So, have to wait for that though. All right, let us move on to the final story. Added last uh, story number seven: monolithic hopper rumored to be one thousand millimeters squared. Not much to say. Copite Seven Kimmy tweeted that GH one hundred is just below a thousand millimeters squared recently for the monolithic version. Meanwhile, Graymon fifty five suggests that there is still an MCM variant. If true, this explains what Moore's Laws did has heard about power consumption of top hopper, and also suggests that Radeon clearly has a technology advantage next gen. <laughs> I don't know. I I still hear that hopper will be the best for like AI workloads, but. I've heard rumors of like up to 1200 watts for some of these hopper cards. Yeah, if it's a thousand millimeters squared pushed hard, yeah, that could use 1200 watts actually, maybe. I mean, a thousand. <laughs> uh, there's not much to say about it. That's just a massive die. And yeah, the idea that that could use over <laughs> that, that, that 
could use 600 watts is like, well, duh. <laughs> and I, I guess, you know, maybe uh, we're in a future where every NVIDIA uh, high-end, not high-end, top-end graphics card uh, needs to come with a refrigeration unit <laughs> or something on it because I don't know how you cool that at a certain point. Yeah, I don't either. We're going to have to see, even in... And it, of course, you have to point out that Hopper is not meant for gamers, at least as far as we can tell, yeah. it's still like A100. And so they can afford, you know, if this makes their AI work run 20, you know, twice as fast to get this crazy product, they will pay for the liquid cooling or whatever else, Peltier cooling. I don't know what else they're doing <laughs> to keep it, you know, from lighting their servers or data centers on or, or uh, training centers on fire. Um but at the same time, I'm still like, I still sounds hard to cool to me. <laughs> yeah. Again, I guess if you think about it, though, Dan, hear me out. A thousand millimeters squared. If it uses a thousand watts, cut that in half. So what? Is that any different than like a 500 watt Lovelace card that's a 500 millimeter squared? Oh, that's true. Yeah. And so it's at least spread out more from the die space, but... Yeah, so I guess actually maybe it is doable, Dan. It would just have an insane cooler. Well, you would need an insane cooler because, yeah, like you're saying, maybe the heat density is the same to an certain extent, but like you still need to have something to move air or whatever thing you're using to cool it over it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I guess one more thing I want to add just to emphasize here. That part I said in the tiny little write-up about AMD Radeon having a technology advantage I've always heard that there's MCM variants, and, and Greymon said that he believes there is still an MCM variant of that. Now, I, I've heard there's MCM variants. I've heard high power usage. If there's both, this explains how all of that makes sense at the same time. Mm -hmm. Having said that, though, the fact that they're making a monolithic die a thousand millimeters squared tells me there's some major performance losses in certain types of apps when it is MCM. Whereas, as far as we can tell, AMD's getting to a point where RDNA 3 is going to try to just work well and everything is an MCM design. I don't know why NVIDIA would be making a 1,000 millimeter squared monolithic die unless their MCM technology is just a full gen behind AMD. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. <laughs> or, or, or they're just working on two completely different architectures, which, I mean, we kind of know they are, but... And I don't know if other people have leaked this. I don't even remember anymore. But I do believe, and I, I don't think I've said it yet. I think this is one of those videos I was sitting on, like in my musings folder, in case I have time to do a video on it, which is that Hopper should launch before Lovelace. And I was always like, well, if Hopper's launching before Lovelace, you know, why isn't Lovelace MCM even if they're next to each other? That never made that much sense to me because you see CDNA 2, I believe it is. We're on the second one right now, launching as an MCM design before RDNA 3. That makes sense to me. That's a professional one first. They're going to work out some of the bugs, but, you know, an app's meant for professional workloads. They will work around any issues with having an MCM card scale effectively. All right, but, yeah, so it goes R CDNA 2, then RDNA 3 MCM why would Hopper be MCM and Lovelace not be? Well, now we know it probably has more caveats to its performance than AMD, and they are. There's mm -hmm. a reason Lovelace is monolithic as far as we can tell. Mm -hmm. 
All right, Brett Summers writes in, Hi, Tom, I've been following your content since around June 2020 or so. I made the attempt to go through your backlog when there were days I had no content to listen to, and I know you said Golden Cove was a leak that you've held near and dear to your heart. I was wondering, is there any other architectures that you feel the same way about, ones that you've announced to MLID listeners or not even? Thanks. Yes, Alchemist. For sure. Yeah, that was a pretty big one. <laughs> I mean, that is to the point that like we were the only ones leaking that. Like, mm-hmm. to the point that you had people doubling down, it's never coming out, or coming to laptop first, last year. Wrong, 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 you know? And and we had pictures while other people were leaking in their correct info. <laughs> yeah, for sure, the Alchemist launch is one I'm going to launch closely is one that really feels near and dear to my heart. Um, in terms mm-hmm. of other ones, I mean, look, there's going to be things like Meteor Lake. Um, RDNA 2 is a big one, because I feel like that one I completely nailed. But I nailed it, like, a month before it came out. Um at least the full leak of it. You know, Raptor Lake will be a big one as well. I'm trying to think if there's anything, you know, if SMT4 ever comes to anything from AMD, that'll make me go, ah, finally. I wasn't crazy. My sources weren't, you know, that AMD I didn't lie to me. But, you know, I'd say those are the other things worth mentioning. All right. Let us then move on to the final wrap-up. So let me see what we got here. NVIDIA raises msrp of graphics cards so yeah there, there's that one uh we already talked about that 600 watt lovelace supposedly i don't Cute. do i have anything to add to that you know I, no I, what i would say again is if lovelace is 600 watts i have a hard time believing that's constant i have a feeling that's thermal graphics design power and it usually typically uses 400 i, I just We'll see, you, but I, I mean, have you have hard, to hope. You have a hard time believing too, like, it, you know. Um, let's see. A new architectural thing is popping up uh, from OX22H about Lovelace as well, showing 20% better ray tracing performance per raster performance. So, again, showing that if Lovelace doubles, or I think it's going to be closer to 90% better than Ampere's gaming performance and rasterization, that their ray tracing will be over twice as good. A little bit over twice as good, which is kind of what you would mm-hmm. expect, kind of like what Ampere was over Turing. Um, let me see. Although I do, I do still not, I still think Ray, RDNA 3 may actually win ray tracing as well. I'll have to see. Um, NVIDIA in a Hopper trademark dispute with Dish. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to add that to your script, Dan, but yes, that is... That's going on. Oh, and, uh, I forgot that the hopper was a thing that existed by Dish. Yeah, because we've been streaming for like a decade now without bothering with cable. I mean, there you go, Dan. Uh, that's just hilarious. I just love these. Like, you can't possibly call your graphics card hopper after the name of, you know, like, a, what was it? I forgot. Was it a Navy Codebreaker, which she was? Something like that. Mathematician. And it's like, this is like our Joey hopper. <laughs> It's like it reminds me of that uh, lawsuit that um, trademark dispute that like Arrested Development had with the uh, I believe it was Rap Group Arrested Development. Yes, and then they're like these are clearly different things, and they dropped the the case. But yeah, yeah, that's that's just silly. Uh, Tomb Raider running on a Game Boy Advance. I just threw that in there because I thought it was cool, and in that the PlayStation One is substantially stronger than a Game Boy Advance, and yet the guy got that running. I I gotta say, a lot of these videos are like, oh, I got Tomb Raider to work on a Game Boy Advance. This is like, here you go, here's your resume for applying to a game studio. Honestly, yeah, like if you can show a studio that you did something like that, that's impressive. I mean, it's a weird like novelty thing almost, but. It's it's interesting. 
that people and it's just interesting that people are still going back to these things and uh screwing with them still Mm -hmm. um oh yeah i added this here overclocking non-k alder lake cpus is possible uh, with the right motherboard, like in here, Sean Knight on TechSpot points out that Intel Celeron 69, G6900 can be overclocked by almost 60% with the right motherboard. <laughs> Just like some absurd, like 5.3 gigahertz. Yeah. I mean, what is it? So is, is this a quad core here? Let me, let me just look this up because that is an interesting idea. Like those Pentiums. Like what if you got it to, let me see. Is it, it okay? Yeah, I thought it was just two cores. But, like, what if you take one of these Pentiums that costs, like, 60, 70 bucks with two cores, four threads, or even four cores, I think, some of them, and you overclock it by to, like, 5.4 gigahertz, at what point does it compete with the quad cores, I wonder? Yeah. I, the one thing I'll say is I, I don't know if this is necessarily a good move, like, for a, somebody looking to buy, because you, I think it's only, like, high-end lap. I mean, high, why do I keep... High-end motherboards, really, that you can uh, change the settings in the BIOS with. So if, if you're spending like $220 on a motherboard with like a $70 processor, that's a <laughs> that's an I- interesting pair. Hey, but you can upgrade to Raptor Lake later this year and go from two or four cores to 24 cores. That's true. Let me see. Is this in stock on Newegg, actually? I want to see. I probably am missing a number because Intel CPUs have the longest names ever right now. Um, yeah, but, but there's an i3, was it 12, is it 12100F? Where is it? Oh, it is. It's just like out of stock because everyone bought it. <laughs> so the 12100F, let me, let me, see, I thought 97, it's like a hundred bucks. That's the one caveat I would say, Dan, is DeBauer got the i3 12100 with four cores, eight threads to 5.4 gigahertz sustained all cores. That's better than a 5600X, I bet. That's all I'm saying is you pay 100 bucks, yeah. overclock it on a high-end motherboard, and I know that's not the best, but I bet most games run really well actually at those clock speeds with, an all, with Golden Cove cores. And I actually can't say I wouldn't recommend that. I'm just saying, like, do you get a $200 i5 with six cores or a $100 i3 with four cores? If you can clock it fast enough that it makes up for not having six cores, it's hard for me not to recommend the i3. Because then you can upgrade to Raptor like later this year. Yeah, that's true. I guess it's also more of a gamble, but sure. But I just I it's half the price of the i five. It's all, I, but yeah, I know. I guess you might say total cost of the system is still up there. Um, let me see. Intel working on mining chips. I, how, did you see this, Dan? No, no. I, I don't know much about this. Not really. Like it doesn't surprise me they're making mining chips. It's a profitable industry. <laughs> Yeah, I guess the only thing I will say is I've heard rumors of AMD and Samsung working on them. Let's let's wait for them to be on sale before we confirm anything. Um, also, yeah. 27 gigabit per second memory coming from Samsung. So like 30% <laughs> faster than GDDR6X. Really makes GDDR6X look great. Yeah, I know. Unless we're getting <laughs> 35 gigabit per second GDDR6X near the end of this year, which I have not heard that for Lovelace. Which, if it does, okay, there's your bandwidth problem solved with Lovelace. Just, you know, you're going to use RAM 50% <laughs> yeah. faster. But I don't know. I, I think people, again, are underestimating how much faster pro versions of these consoles could get if they just wait a year and give them 50% more bandwidth than what they have now. I'm just pointing that out. More than 50% more bandwidth than, yeah, because they could go from 14 to 27. That's almost 
double the bandwidth. It's huge. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you could literally just enable all the dies in a PS5, clock it 10% faster and give it double the bandwidth, and there's your PS5 Pro. And then you could even disable that and sell that as the slim diskless model. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's what Have. Sony's doing. <laughs> Moving on. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Wait, wait for another video. And then moving forward, interesting. Let me see here. NVIDIA giving up an arm. We already got that. Uh, oh, yeah. We've already talked about that point from Kyle Bennett. Arc getting resizable bar. I don't have much to add to that except that, again, I think Intel is going to try to have all of the software features NVIDIA and AMD have right now for Arc when it launches. And there's that, that's half the reason. It seems it's clear that they are. Yeah. yeah. And Intel Raja is saying they want to get millions of Arc cards into gamers' hands every year. Again, guys. These reports, I think, semi-accurate for some reason, saying, oh, they're not really going to have any cards at launch. Yeah, okay, Charlie, we know you hate Intel. I, I think Intel plans to make a lot of graphics cards, guys. I just don't know exactly when the bulk of the volume is hitting. Mm-hmm. All right. They're competing. <laughs> yes, they are not starting this huge graphics division to launch a small amount of graphics 40 cards. 40 cards. Yeah, so I, I do expect <laughs> a lot. I just think the question is when. Um, all right, then let us move on to the wrap up here. Beefish, I'm sorry, the final reader mail. Beefish writes in the broken silicon with Tim from Hardware Unbox and the recent other recent episodes have got me to thinking. AMD does seem to be using a one size fits all approach, which is great for desktop and server, but how long can they keep this up if Intel holds up their game with Meteor Lake and offers variants specifically tailored to target different markets? You know, stronger graphics with less cores for general use notebooks or more P cores for gaming laptops, more E cores for productivity, doing this all with tiles. It's an issue for AMD. I think as with Intel not being competitive for a few years, they were able to get away with like, you know, just increasing core counts and stuff. But I think AMD will probably at some point have to move to a more Intel style approach or move to, or will have to become heterogeneous eventually. I don't know how long that is, but I think they'll be fine for a couple more gens, but they have to eventually. Yeah. I think again, we shouldn't, Intel's kind of focusing on the tile naming and nomenclature first. That does not mean. AMD isn't going to mix and match stuff as well. I just think AMD focused on the chiplet first. Intel's focusing on the different Mm -hmm. tiles first. I think they're both going to be trying both things. I think you're going to see kind of a tiled approach from AMD coming as well, just after Intel and which one executes better, you know, who will win. Evil Steve Software Box writes in, Hey, Tom, and presumably Dan, you presume correctly, Evil Steve. Tom, in the latest Q&A, you mentioned or even potentially leaked, I guess, that RDNA 3 will have a massive boost in ray tracing capabilities. I did. Similarly, when you were asked a while back, you said that DG2 would be an computing powerhouse and that it would have RTX capabilities like RDNA 2 and Ampere. I did say that. So what about DG3 Battle Mage? How will DG3 slash Battle Mage compare when it comes to production and creation tasks, ray tracing capabilities against RDNA 3 and Lovelace? Oh, I, I already hear that by the end of DG2 Intel, I actually got an update from a source, wants to have good, you know, professional capabilities, shall we say, non-gaming. So, again, it's like, how will it compare? Uh, you gotta just wait for reviews. I mean, what, NVIDIA, like, just lied about the efficiency of Ampere. Um, I don't, of course, <laughs> behind the scenes, we knew that yeah. it was bullshit if you had sources to talk to, but I guess is a fair point, and I don't really even pay attention to public statements that much anymore. Just you know, the, my own sources. So, but I think until it's out, it's hard to say, you know, already look, DG2 isn't even out yet. We need to see how that compares in ray tracing. What I've heard is basically for the performance tier, better than AMD, 
So again, if they launch something as strong as a 3070Ti, tentatively, I would expect the ray tracing to be pretty close to the 3070Ti and better than a 6750 XTs, if that makes sense, or better mm -hmm. than a 6800s or something. Uh, but again, uh, so much of this is also based on how much devs cater to the ray tracing performance of the architecture anyways. Oh, that's also true. And, you know, with, uh, with launches, it, it's always very uh, vague at first, like when cards are more than a year out, year and a half out, I would presume, with uh, Battle Mage. Like, it's, it's a while before that comes out. So we only have, like, an idea of what it might be like, which is why I think the idea of, like, how you name things in your videos, like, really far out products you calling them whispers it makes sense mm -hmm. like this is or at least putting early very, very early you know, early before yeah. leak in the title yeah like this is very early data this is uh I, i'm giving you an idea of what the like idea of the architecture is supposed to be but saying exact performance is just impossible <laughs> at a certain uh distance out a named person writes him. He says, hey, Tom and Dan, with what you know about RDNA 3 along with the general trend of the cooler market for desktop cards, do you believe that the 7800X, if that is what they are going to be calling it, so do you, I think he means XT, uh, class of GPUs will have a cooler smaller than 2.5 slots, uh, or will this be a three to four slot monster like some of the past high-end cards from NVIDIA? Thank you and keep up the good work. Well, thanks for writing in, a named person. Um... But for those who... I th what? Oh, I was just going to say, I think uh, you'll get a lot of graphics cards that are really big, but <laughs> I don't know what the official model will be. I, I think at the end of the day, what you see from AIBs is going to be kind of the standard a lot of the time. People are willing to pay for a big card. I, I know a lot of mom and pop stores or people at Micro Center say, hey, look, I think there's this idea from AIBs and from stores that the big cards sell better because they look stronger. The counterpoint I make to those people is, is it that that's because they're stronger or because only the stronger cards have the giant coolers? But I digress. There's definitely a correlation either way. So they've already built these coolers that are capable of cooling 400 to 500 watts. Some of them barely, but they do it. I don't see why they'd back away from that on the top cards. Having said that, I think there's still going to be dual slot cards or two slot cards is the standard at least below the 7800 xt and i would expect there will be two slot versions of that as well uh, especially yeah i expect reference ones to be now will amd for the 7950 xt make it at least look good cooled or a triple slot one for two grand maybe probably probably <laughs> probably yeah because yeah. at this point that seems to be what you do to win but i don't think i don't think even nvidia you know let's again let's say Let's just call it, let's just split the difference between 450 and 600. Let's say the 4090 is a 500 watt card. NVIDIA will justify it by saying, hey, look, you know, it's not always using 500 watts. If you had a power supply that can handle the 3090 or 3090 Ti, 99% chance it can handle this. And then they'll probably make the 4080 350 watts or something and say, hey, look, if you can handle 320, your power supply can hold, handle 350. My 750 watt, and again, it's like a, I think it's a platinum one. Um, my 750-watt Platinum handled 400 watts of an overclocked 3080 Ti fine. So they'll say, yep, so we think the 4080 can be 350. I don't think – then it follows. I think the 4070 is going to stay below 300. And then that'll be two slots most of the time. Yeah, and, you know, there will be a couple that are like three slots. So you get the uh, extra cooling that you don't need. Yes. 
Timo writes in, hi, Tom and Dan. What would you think of the future? What do you think of the future of optical disc media? Not necessarily optical, but most storage media not requiring downloaded internet connections. This external format has clear benefits, but the trend now is software and contents as a service, it seems. Thinking of the looming 8K horizon for TVs and monitor manufacturers and wanting to showcase something you can buy with these new displays and the contents that it needs. Um, let me see here. Do you think this is going to really happen? He's basically asking, uh, again, Timo, I got to ask you. Please put some thought into how you word some of your sentences here. I'm going to have to just skip ahead here. But he says, you know, why do they have to make it high? Why, why can't they just give us one Blu-ray disc with 24 episodes of a TV series? And how are they going to stream 8K? You know, are they going to bring out an optical disc that fits 200 gigabytes? And I actually looked this up. I do not see any 8K Blu-rays on the horizon, it seems. I mean, it's an old format of we've moved away from optical media completely um i don't know who they're who they would be pursuing the that for at this point except for i guess maybe disc based video games but even a lot of video games it's just the disc is basically just a thing you buy and then download the game from the internet if you buy halo infinite on series x it literally is useless it's just an extra drm step you paid for not true on the ps5 by the way there is one company trying to not remove your ability to own games but it's clearly, especially in movies, I, I couldn't find any... There's already 8K... Remember, we were hearing about Blu-rays before 1080p panels were even out. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the classically, the PS3 launches doesn't even come with an HDMI cord. Has the port, but doesn't come with the cord. You know, they were preparing you for 1080p Blu-rays before those panels were even sta- even out, let alone... Close st- to standard. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that I see no looming thing for 8K Blu-rays, look, I think some 8K standard for sh- discs will come at some point, because someone's going to have to need it for something, but I don't expect it to be economical or e- used even nearly as much as 4K Blu-rays, so yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it's a problem for bandwidth um, streaming 8K, but, but I don't see discs being used. We'll have to see. I, there will always be some kind of physical media for the film snobs i'm starting to now that i'm getting to this position in my life try to build a small collection of what i think are the best blu-ray movies on blu-ray including 4k ones just kind of as an archival thing in case i eventually because i think a lot of these won't be produced anymore you know just so i can have some way of watching my favorite movies from the past on like an you know uh, an oled screen once if i ever have the money for like a home theater system that's decent but that's me, and yeah. most people aren't doing that. And there's always going to be something for people like me, and I, I don't even consider myself a, a film snob, really. So, but I just, yeah, I don't think it's going to be standard, and I think streaming's clearly one in that regard. Yeah, I, I mean, streaming is frankly more convenient, uh, and as I, I think uh, the answer to the looming 8k monitor horizon is also gigabit internet is becoming increasingly more common i guess the speed that they deliver it to you at is still going to matter and improved compression algorithms are still going to matter but i think it's conceivable that that you could stream 8k I mean, yeah, uh, what what was the requirement on Netflix? Recommended like 25 uh, megabit per second. You can stream 8K. Uh, that's yeah. bare minimum, but what, you know, I now have gigabit internet, uh, which has made things a lot better for me. Um, but, you know, I, yeah, so I don't know. I think, you know, the gigabit internet becoming standard before there's even an 8K 
optical standard on the horizon tells you everything you need to know about how you're going to be watching 8K, I think. Um, yeah. Evil Steve Software Box writes in one more time. He says, hi, Tom. What about Dan? What is up with the Microsoft Direct Storage? I bought a discounted Gen 4 SSD from Amazon a while ago, thinking to myself that I want to enjoy the low loading times I was promised were now possible with an Ampere graphics card. And now Windows 11 is here, and they were, we were told they held it for that, and yet nothing. It's still not implemented even in Windows 11. What's the holdup? Why is there no mention of this feature in existing or upcoming PC releases? I would say it's almost like Sony might have actually put a lot of effort into their loading tech and that it isn't as easy to just flip on a switch and add to PC as they suggested to you it was. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, discussion with like SSDs on the PC market in general that no one really has. It's like, oh, I have the super strong, powerful, fast SSD. And it's like, okay, is your software even utilizing half that speed? Maybe. Mine is, but not in gaming, really. I don't think there's much of a need for me to get an SSD that's much faster than what I currently have, mm. and that's it's a Gen three. <laughs> like at this like, point, you might as well, yeah, wait for like Raptor Lake or Zen four or Zen five PCIe five point SSDs, right? Yeah, I, I, I actually, I'm confident you might as well wait for that, Dan. I'll just say it. Like by the time four is utilized well for s for PC loading in a lot of games, I think five will be around and beat the ps5's loading so i think that's clear at this point it wasn't obvious a couple years ago but it seems obvious now you know it's a classic thing hardware need i mean that software needs to catch up to to the hardware that's running it And, and i think when it comes to direct storage i need to keep quoting what i've uh, talking to developers who are playing around with it because they are you know they're, they're looking into it for pc like what <laughs> it will actually mean and most of them say it's actually going to be closer to ps5 loading times than sony would want you to believe but it's closer to ps5 loading times if that's all it's doing and when we load the division two dan i'm sure you've seen your P- cpu go up to 100 percent usage and that's because mm-hmm. that game loads a lot of assets quickly leveraging all of your cores because again the faster you stream and bandwidth from your SSD, the faster the CPU you need. That's why the PS5, and to a lesser extent, the Series X has a coprocessor to do that so that they don't have tons of stuttering. You know, So yes, direct storage will let you load a game in like two seconds, but it's not going to let you asset stream unless you have the extra CPU cores to stream in the assets at the same time you know, and yeah. same with like that. If you're tensor using tensor cores with NVIDIA to load, right? But were they doing denoising? Were they were they doing something with ray tracing? Because it's cutting into that tensor performance if they stream in storage at the same time. And I think at the end of the day, you're going to get much better performance than what the PS5 can do. But it's probably going to be with Meteor Lake and Gen 5 SSDs when you have the extra CPU cores there, maybe even the code processors built into Meteor Lake to stream that, and Gen 5 SSDs that can just brute force their way into being as fast as what the <laughs> PS5 and to yeah. a certain extent the Xbox can be as well with its BC pack and streaming capabilities as well. Yeah, I uh, but to an extent, I don't know if the the whole co processor thing is necessarily going to happen or become common in PC. In the near term, before we I just, just have like 24 said, cores, anyways, you don't need coprocessor. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think brute force is the way it's going to go, as it always does with PC. <laughs> yeah, um, will something happen? Maybe, but you know, the AI and neural, the neural engines they're adding right now are stuff that they can have like a third of the apps use every day. I don't know that every game's going to need that asset streaming 
to be its own coprocessor because they don't want to add a piece of silicon that's not used most days. You know, yeah. why add a neural engine? You know, yeah, w- they added a neural engine when more cores wouldn't be as efficient overall in day to day usage was a factor. Why add a coprocessor for streaming SSDs if you could fit two more cores? <laughs> you know, <laughs> the cores are pretty yeah. damn strong compared to the PS5 cores by the time that happens. So, yeah, I don't know. I will say it's weird it isn't implemented yet, though. It would be nice. It, it, like, even if it, games don't really use it, it, it is weird they haven't released it yet. I, I actually do think. Um, I mean, it, it, it's just funny seeing NVIDIA announce it. That was one of those big things that I leaked about Ampere that I got correct, and it's like it might not even be a factor till Lovelace anyways. Anyways... Speaking of anyways, saying the word anyways, we are anyways done with this episode. This is a horrible transition. I'm getting tired. Um, any last words, Dan? No, I, th- I think we did it, Tom. I think we fucking nailed it again, man. Hell yeah. If you do think we nailed it, and hopefully you do, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You know, we cannot do this show without you. You get exclusive podcasts like Die Shrink. You get no ad versions of Broken Silicon that come out early. You can ask me and guest questions. You have another, I have some more very interesting guests coming on very soon. You, you're not going to want to miss that. You can ask free questions on loose ends. I mean, you can talk to the community, talk to me. I mean, there's really so much there for like a couple dollars, four dollars a month. And the more we get support on Patreon, the more the focus is, is just releasing ad free content every week to that. And, you know, so if you really like it, you'll get more of it and you'll push us to make more of it and allow us to hire more people on as well. Yeah, I guess that's really all I have to say for the final shameless plug. Thanks for listening. We look forward to talking to you with the community again for the next news episode and uh, take care of yourselves, everybody. Bye bye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead 
at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Mellon, Anthony Graffa, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yan, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Al-Khwari, Frederick Lau, Lynn Yi, Justin Paris, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, D31337, Antics, Jackson A. Miller, Jesse Jeskowiak, Josh Law, JB Jing, Travis Gooding, Michael Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Deseru, Daniel Hyde, a guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Cole Addicts, Matt Sim, Aaron Close, F7GOS, Matthew Landavazo, my name is nobody, Judson N. Alethros, Jensen Wang, hey, there's a kitty, Greg T. Wanchek, Rentaro, Matsukata, John Jameson, Sam Vansel, Matthew Lane, Mark Rainmaker, Jan Ranner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Meyer Techrance, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, 3DS Boy 08, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Sandy Garrido, Saunderson, Joachim Hagen, Teak Autumn, Sol Connor, Michael Casa, Andrew S.C. Jitz, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Ecker, Hexapuma, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Zutsu Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu, Alenia, Nanyan, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Dane Galanowski, Ian Clifford, Axel Cisneros, Leighton Perry, Joseph Karen, Brett Summers, Blake, Donovan Russell, Noah Nicoella, Zlicky, Martin Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tanhulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoas Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Brucha, Jeremy Show, Mitchell Pell, Silvanos, Eddie Del Castile, Jacob Blaster, Luis Correa, Deke, uh, Otiv, Ukertz, Tyler Lindley, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude23, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou, Mark Kelly, Dave McCoy, Valco Malev, Gabe Lagner, Ronnie, DNA Tech, Michael D and MJB1, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Sarcastro, My Sharona, White Truly, Roman, William W. Draper, Air Rats, Spam G. Spamton, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Amiable Chief, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, James Anderson, Shakira, Nick Rakin, Alden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R. Pete Sharma, Mean and Pork, Jimmy and G, Mads, Matthew Lazier, Benjamin Oshley, Mark Mitchell, Shield TV, Couteau, Aaron, John Wissink, Mohammed, John DeBunt, Post Media, Sean Ashmont, Daniel Dewars, Stephen Zhang, JSMMH, Georgie Kostaninov, PC Beast 22, Reginald Ari, Narathiel, Ivan, Charles Russell, Hal Buma, Akarsh, Edithia, The Grid, Andrew S., Chris Rich, Joachim Hagen, Desist, Josh Law, or Aiden, Chris P. Erbakken, Chris Krizantine, Zave Beat 03, Powell, Zegartowski, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. Mm-hmm.